I was going to say, there was no open goal with constipation, so that makes more sense. So, no, um, this, this podcast is starting off perfectly. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly as we expected. It's like we never went away. Um, I think... I think the, be... Sorry, Sam, but the, the podcasts that we do together are always good because they're a carnage. I think we've done like two and they've... And then we did the live stream, and they were all carnage. So I'm looking forward to that mix with crap WWE booking. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be some sort of insanity. I'm sure it will surprise you both to hear. I've made notes in preparation. No. I'm sure Nathan will never listen to this because, judging by the group chat, he hates people talking about a product they hate. Anyway. <laughs> uh, he, he might as well just turn it off now. It'll be so much easier. <laughs> But anyway, let's. I think we should. Oh, he's recording. We're all recording, gay. I was about to go into it, but you shouldn't turn off this podcast. But Rain, you ruined it. You ruined fucking everything. Now we might as well go home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, 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 not, not Scott's words. The words of half the arena at the Allegiant Stadium on Saturday after the first match. Well, I think they were all wishing for constipation. As I've heard words that the fucking toilets were overflowing in Allegiant Stadium. <laughs> Oh fucking hell! I, 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 this just feels like it's starting off as I expect it to, and yeah. uh, let's de- keep rolling. Keep yeah, rolling. Keep the standards at, uh, as high as we can, or at least the toilet pole. Yeah, it's <sighs> the standards that you people can expect. This, this is the Rogue Fiends NXT Takeover Thirty Six and SummerSlam reviews ground into one. And I know that this past weekend in the world of wrestling, there is one thing above all else that people are talking about. It's not one we're talking about here because eventually we're going to do a separate podcast talking all about AEW and leading into All Out. And we will get to that one thing that you all truly care about. We Look will talk- in my eyes. What do you see? Not AEW chat today. Sorry. What you see is the long-awaited in-ring return of the big show Paul White to take on the mighty, the giant in his own right, QT Marshall. We'll talk about all that. We'll have a good 40 minutes dedicated to that. I can't wait to see how many notes Sam has for that. Paul White, Paul White, Paul White, Paul White. Yeah, no more BS for me. I can't wait to see this guy. I reckon I'm going to go for 1,200 on that match. What yes. amazes me is that he's been contracted since February and he hasn't turned heel yet. Uh, yeah, but there's no more BS now. Uh, that won't be classed as BS. That, that, is, that is true. That is an inspired bit of thinking from my colleague. He's just instantly gone, that makes sense. I'm going with it. And I'm oh, also- yeah. This is going to be a theme of the podcast. It makes sense. WWE versus A. Booking when booking makes sense, it's actually really good. Hang on, hang on. Let's let's not go too far with that one. I think your expectations may be a bit high. Um, what you really need is a swerve, bro, in order to really <laughs> get it going well. So what oh, you expect, wait. what what you're going to get, should never be what you want or expect. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> thoughts. And, uh, We're just doing anything not to talk about the Bayview, but anyway. <laughs> I, I, what I'm wondering is, I know it went SummerSlam takeover this time around because it was all arse backwards. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the show, but I kind of want to talk about takeover first because I'm too used to it being takeover then the main pay per view. Sounds good. So. Did anybody actually watch the takeover? Oh, by the way, I'm Scott McClure, that's Ray and that's Sam. I didn't do the introductions, but fuck it, you already know. Hello, everybody. If you don't know who we are by now, then where the fuck have you been? Yeah. (laughs) If you don't know who we are, strap yourselves in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be prepared. It's going to be a roller coaster of emotions in a glass case of uh, disappointment. 
<laughs> Very much. Uh, I'm the. I was gonna. I was gonna compare us to Conte. I was gonna like compare us to NXT team, but that would make me. I would have to make me Vic Joseph, and I don't want to be Vic Joseph. So I'll just sweep aside that analogy and talk about NXT. Do either of you watch the pre-show for Takeover Thirty Six? I heard the promo. I didn't watch the match. No, yeah, there was a it was a, a pre-show match that I didn't know about until two hours before the pre-show started. It was a Trey Baxter, formerly Blake Christian, on the Indies taking on basically being glorified squash, being beaten up in a, about five minutes by Ridge Holland, uh, and then he got on microphone and went, "Hey, up, Timothy Thatcher. One of these days, me and you're going to get in ring. I'm going to fucking twat you." Basically, what he said. That's all, all. That's what all people from his and, area of England sound like to me. And Pete Dunstan and Pete Dunn stood there and looked British. <laughs> hey, looking British is a really impressive uh, trait and skill. I mean, it took a lot of effort. It took me 31 years to get it up to a good scratch. So appreciate the man because he's British without being too British, as in bad teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, I did not watch the match um, because I have already had enough of watching matches that don't matter. So, therefore, I thought I'd focus on the main takeover, where, in what makes a refreshing change of pace, every match actually matters. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I don't know why there was two belts. I don't know why you have a pay-per-view where two of your belts aren't defended. That's another topic for another day. Um I feel like that's completely disrespecting the people who hold them belts. Um, but yeah, it was a solid. I mean, look, like Tim Thatcher, anything Tim Thatcher is in, I'm sure it'll be good, but it's very hard for me to get invested in something that's just thrown onto my screen without any reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, a, it's only a commentary. They never used to have pre show matches at all. Uh, and take over, I think, haven't started happening late last year, and I don't think any of them have ever actually mattered. In the, in the grand scheme of things, so again, that's that main roster influence creeping in uh, to NXT, which is also like, going to be going through some major changes over the next, you know, few months. Uh, but so I can definitely see Rich Holland getting a major push in this new version of NXT. Uh, but if, by association, that means Pete Dunne still gets regularly featured. Well, then there's always a silver lining. Yeah, but you'll probably be um, mainly that it will be Ridge Holland as the main and Pete Dunne being his sidekick. I'm so. going ba- to batter you. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, all he's uh, he's just, I'm going to break your teeth. <laughs> uh, that does sound legit. And that will probably be the most we get to see from Pete Dunne if uh, it continues as is. But yeah. who knows? We There might be shocks galore ahead, but... Yeah, unfortunately, we can't talk about the future and what ifs and hopes. Instead, we have to talk about what we saw the last two nights. Yeah, unfortunately, with unfor- sorry, Scott, but unfortunately, with WWE, I, I, with the thing I said mostly on our podcast with Kieran, which I'll be, uh, is um, I really hope I'm pro- every time I talk about WWE, I really hope I'm proven wrong. I'd be happy to be proven wrong. I'm not someone who's like I don't want WWE to be good, but it's just very hard to believe that they, they will prove us wrong. Mm-hmm. But let's, let's start positive, you know. I want to talk about the opener to NXT TakeOver 36, which features Gaming Grams finally, you know, getting his hand raised, finally getting that million dollar championship to try and take it to the moon after beating uh, LA Knight. To, you know, I think LA Knight is going to be another standout of this new version of NXT because I'm a big fan of his. I was a fan of his as Eli Drake because I think he's very much 
he's always been a WWE guy even long before he got to WWE. And I can yeah. see him challenging uh, Joe for the title at the next takeover. Like by the end of the year, he'll be in the, the NXT title picture. I guarantee it. But you know, I think it made the most sense out of all these one matches to you know open the show. Uh, there's no there's one of the few takeovers we've not had a big tag team match because that's been a staple of takeovers, especially the openers. We have a tag match, none of those uh, this time around. But I would like I really like Cameron Grimes. I, I liked him on the Indies as well, the same as you. I'm not I'm not as as into Eli Drake as you are. Um, but think, thinking good match, thinking ahead like him and Escobar could have a when he finished with Swerve. I think him and Escobar. I think Escobar suits that kind of money or wealth kind of side of um, storyline. So I could see that being a great match because they're two good wrestlers as well as well as being two good characters. So yeah, there's there's room for it on the card if it's a new if we're talking about this new era of NXT. A couple of years ago, this would have stuck out like a sore thumb on the NXT card, but. Um, yeah, no, if it's a new version and we have to adapt to it, then Cameron Grimes isn't bad, and I really like the, the kind of feed, the, the, the million dollar celebration on Tuesday should be a good segment. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I was surprised at how much I actually enjoyed this match. It, very, it, it was a lot longer than I expected it to be, but at no point was I bored. And even though it's not the sort of match you'd probably expect to be on a takeover norm- normally, at least in the last two years, it almost um, ties back to, like, say, around about like, 2017, 2018, where there'll be an opening match, which is all about putting over a possible future star. The quality of the match in comparison to, like, four or five years ago of what you would have gotten is still very high. It's just obviously it's unfortunate that what we're basically doing is we're saying it was a solid match or it was a good match because deep down we're comparing it to what we see afterwards. But as an opening match, I thought it was a really good choice. The fans were very quickly into it. I love the use of Ted DiBiase. I think this is exactly how you should use a legend. You should get them mm-hmm. to add to the story and give a character an extra rub to help them connect with the audience. I think Cameron Grimes at the moment is basically firing on all cylinders he's always been very good in the ring but the last year has really developed his charisma and his character and now he's at the point where i think the fans have got a really good connection with him um and this is this is going to be an opportunity for him to go on and do really good stuff and i agree with scott in terms of eli drake um i think he's a lot better than you would expect if you looked at him just as a wwe type superstar yes he's got the charisma and the promo skills of what you expect but this may sound a bit unfair he's like got the charisma and skills of what ec3 used to have but he also can back it up in the ring ec3 for all of his qualities was never tremendous in the ring he was always a better character than he was a wrestler whereas eli drake i mean even the moment where he did that beautiful release german suplex off the top rope was so so good and that's why i'm thinking to myself this guy has close to a full package in terms of what he can bring to the roster mm-hmm. yeah uh, using a legend to elevate a star who would have thunk it jesus yeah. shocking. shocking it's a crazy thought mm. yeah i hope uh, dbs sticks around uh, i looked up to how long this match went because you said it went longer than you thought 16 minutes 16 and a half minutes this went which uh, i think is decent enough uh by the way, I said, oh, Trey Bowser got squashed in just about five minutes. I just looked at there. According to what I'm reading here, it was a minute 45, that pre-show match. So, poor Trey. He got battered. 
yeah, never, yeah, unfortunately, he's about five foot tall, so yeah. uh, he's never really, uh, yeah, but uh, no, I just, I think it was like a good choice to open it, where, where they, they've kind of moved away from their hot tag openers, mm-hmm. obviously in the old NXT, you would have had an MSK um, title, tag title match opening this, but it was good to kind of get a, a match that had a, a somewhat like a crowd investment into it, and obviously... Starting off with a babyface win is a good idea, and obviously the the, the promo after the to the moon is over, mm-hmm. and the million dollar title is over. You've got a lot of ideas you could do with that. Um, outside shot like like Corbin coming and trying to steal it to try and make some money. <laughs> even if you want to, if you're oh, kind of new era. Um, I, could, I could actually see that. I had to admit, and that that. Um, I would be almost curious to see how that would play out because Baron yeah. Corbin seems to be. Almost weirdly, despite the fact this character seems to be almost in the death throes of his life, the wrestler behind it seems to be inspired in terms of what he can do with his character. Yeah, yeah, he turned uh, he turned thirty five dollars into a hundred dollars at the casino in Vegas at the weekend. That's the latest upside. So, yeah, no, <laughs> uh, I'm surprised they haven't done something like between these two, or at least with DBS, because. I think there were people like on Cotter like saying that they wanted to see Karen Grimes come up and try and buy the million buy the money in the bank briefcase off of him uh, when he, after he stole off Biggie, which I think would have been funny. So, yeah, it's interesting to see where where DBS is around if he's going to be a permanent kind of fixer, like the manager of Cameron Grimes, or how regularly that million dollar bit will be defended. Something I did love, I, I, I made special note of this line from uh, Wade Barrett. It went, the million, because also he was back in LA and he goes, after Grimes when he went, a million dollar legacy for whatever it's worth has now been flushed down the toilet. I went, what do you mean for whatever it's worth? It's called a million dollar legacy. It's clearly <laughs> worth at least a million dollars. Come on, Wade. Come on, Wade. Ah, uh, but Wade's English, and we don't actually know what the um uh, what the difference is in UK money now. So sterling, it may be only like six hundred quid because obviously American dollars are worthless Brexit. now. Brexit. Brexit's a bitch. Any indies that then you gave your stand back a bit and wanted to do a mock version called the 600 quid championship, you know, you would like some royalties for that over here. Yep, that sounds that's that that sounds like it would fit right very well on the indies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, this was a, a good opener and it kind of the, the match quality was 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 very very good. Obviously, the crowd was very very good here, it wasn't so good, it did cover itself in glory later in the night, but the crowd was very very good. In this. Mm. Yeah, uh, the next match I was surprised that you know I think they switched around given they had a big like stipulation match later on. They switched around the order of the women's match. Usually that's the same I mean, which I usually think is a bad spot for them because usually the women's match suffers from being in that spot because the third match in the card usually great, and then also the crowd are saving their energy for the main event. So it's good that the, the women got a spot here in the here where the crowd was still hot. Uh, yeah, Raquel Gonzalez retaining her NXT Women's Championship against. Dakota Kai and I really it was an odd, you know, feel for this match because uh, Dakota was presented as a heel. There were quite a few loud Dakota chants and then some noticeable boos for uh, Raquel during the introductions. I mean, not everybody was against Raquel, but there was a it wasn't as much in Dakota's favour as I think he probably would have thought. But I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I'm not going to say that Dakota carried Raquel because Raquel's still developing, but. I think it's definitely her best title defense so far, and like some of the counters she built out to get into different variations of the power bomb. And I'm gonna say it right here: out of all the matches on this show, this had the best finish. The Dakota running around, getting her foot caught, 
only for Ricard to lift her up in the air and hit this middle rope power bomb for the finish. That's best finish of the night. Uh, I would disagree, but it was a good finish. Um, it was a good, like she looked good. I like the way she kind of Ricard like is very interchangeable in her ring gear. The kind of um, she look she looks like a dominant champion. Her her reign hasn't been the best, I would say. Like, and that's true. No fault of her own. Um, they're just it's just been. There hasn't been many stories. It's just been, I want to beat you because you're the champ, and then they have a match, and then I, someone loses. Um, I honestly thought Dakota was going to go over here, so it's a surprise. Maybe it's just the start of the storyline. But uh, no, no, it was, it was a good match. I I found it hard to get interested in the, uh, as invested in the women's, uh, again, the same thing as like, uh, and uh, the new era, the w- women's division, because the old era was just so, so good with like Candice and a, in the street fight, street fights, and like Io Shirai and Kyrie Sane, and can name a, a lot of others. But for what it was worth, um, Raquel was really, really good with the card she's been dealt, and it was a really, really solid match. Not one of my favorites tonight, but it was it was by no means a bad match. There was no bad match on the card as 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 is always, but um, yeah, no, it was Dakota Kai's fantastic. I have to admit that what I liked most about this match was that. It's very hard to make a smaller heel feel like a threat. I mean, uh, you only have to look at examples where you can have a big star such as like Big Show or you have Diesel or you have someone like that. And having a smaller heel become a threat can be very difficult at times. But Dakota is so good at selling the conviction of what she's trying to do and her manner of antagonizing Raquel that it almost evens the playing fields just enough because Dakota is clever enough to use Raquel's strength and anger against her. And I feel like having that intricate knowledge of each other gave this match a bit of an extra edge. It's probably, um, the, uh, it probably had quite a bit of a difficulty to stand out in comparison to the big styles of the next couple of matches. And it feels almost like the breather before you get into the matches that everyone has unfortunately bought the pay-per-view for. But um, between the two of them, I do think the finish was very good. I agree. I don't think it's the best finish of the night. I may say the second best, but I do love the fact that you already had it that Dakota came so close to winning earlier on with the Yakuza kick. And it's only because Raquel rode out of the ring that she uh, didn't lose there and then. But that ending of where Dakota tries to go for it again, and this time Raquel reverses it, shows that learning process that Raquel is developing and uh, gaining from the matches and being able to react to it. And I thought that was a really good character moment, and it was a very emphatic um, display of strength as well. So overall... Considering this is a match that people have been expecting pretty much since Raquel won the title, I feel that it was a good match that lived up relatively well to what was expected. I think the only reason that Dakota didn't win is it does feel like um, she may be sent up to the main roster, which is more of a punishment nowadays, but it may be the only way of guaranteeing she gets a job kept or something like that, because who knows what's going to happen in the near future. But Raquel came out of this looking very well. Dakota was a fantastic opponent for her. And now we've got possibly what will be an even more fascinating match on the horizon. Yeah. I, I'm, I was quite interested to 
I was interested like when they when I was interested when Raquel won the title because I think we all knew Harvey Dakota was coming. It just depended where they wanted to go with Raquel as the heel or Dakota as the heel. And I think the story they told, especially in the video package, helped help it make sense because Dakota brought Raquel in to help her claim the lad in the women's division. But only it worked out that the opposite way, where Raquel basically surpassed her, and uh, Dakota is annoyed about that. And it, it sometimes it works to have a smaller heel and they can have that thing over the heel that gives them that advantage. Like, Sam, when we've watched Xbox UK, more often than not, Xbox use help from DX or whatever to get the advantage over Kane or mm. something like that. Whereas I think Dakota has what Shawn Michaels used when he faced, he was a heel against Faith Diesel, and that she is more experienced over Raquel. So her experience was her advantage despite being smaller. And they did do a, a cool spot where she did the kick in the corner. But Raquel fell to the outside and the commentators picked up like off. But she fell inward. Maybe we would have had a new NXT Women's At the minute, the NXT Women's Division is really looking very thin at the minute because Candice isn't going to be able to wrestle for at least the next nine months, as we've recently found out. Uh, you know, you've got Indy there, you've got the tag champs with nobody to face, and then randomly you've got Tegan and Shotzi randomly pulled up from the main roster. I don't know if Ember's still injured. So, you know, the women's division NXT is looking a bit, uh, bit thin. Yeah, uh, I think she's... Kayla Ray is very, very good, and she was wasted on NXT UK. So, um, sponsored... Uh, new sponsors of Enfield Football Club. I, I, I must have. <laughs> I think that's their full title. Um, but, yeah, no, Kayla Ray is very, very good. And um, I think it's a testament that they're looking at this new era, and they, they, they're like, yeah, we need to bring Kayla Ray in. So clearly they fit in their plans. No one from the UK would be brought over if they weren't like definitively in, in their plans at this stage. Like in the old NXT, you'd be like, yeah, bring them for like a cool kind of cameo. But like with this kind of, if you guys get me, if this like this is like a this is a changing of the guard. If you're bringing someone over from the UK, they're clearly part of some long term plans, and they're not just there to make up the numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. But speaking of NXT UK, we then had the match that I was most looking forward to, oh. which was Ilya Dragunov taking on Walter for the NXT UK Championship. Uh, you mentioned there was a no tag match, no like NXT. I think they had that in the go home show, and that they used that almost as an angle for this because they were facing Imperium, and then there was a bit of a scuffle with MSK, Imperium, and, and Dragunov, which Walter stood tall of heading into this match. And I'm glad that the crowd were you know, clapping along with Ilya's music and they got more into him. Uh, as the match progressed because you know it made a real change from the last time he was in front of a major US crowd for NXT which was at Worlds Clyde against Balor and he came out to fucking crickets that night which I, and I remember feeling so bad for him uh, and now he's here with that match with Walter also there's a lot of expectations and you know sometimes you like your, your good technical wrestling sometimes you like your spot fest your matches with a good story and then there are times you want to just see two big guys just batter the fuck out of each other and that's what I wanted with this, and I was very satisfied with it because the state of Dragunov's chest after yeah. this just told everything. And I was especially shocked, and I don't know about you guys, the fact that they made Walter t- they had Walter tap out. They said that the only person that had pinned him in XTUK was uh, Dragunov, and now Dragunov's the only person to submitted him because you know he just made Walter tap out. And like the way the commentators were going crazy for it and everything, that's a definitive when like okay Walter's officially done as NXT UK champion maybe he's done NXT UK full and now we're in a new year not just for NXT main but for NXT UK as well yeah um, there's two ways you, you, you make something look real in wrestling because um, spoiler it's not sorry to crush your dreams um, 
Um, you are an extremely good seller, a la Dolph Ziggler. Sorry for giving him a, a, a compliment. Or you just legitimately beat the fuck out of someone, so they have no choice but to feel pain. And fucking hell, did anyone else watch this match? Oh, this is amazing, but the one thing I got is five minutes into the match, I think it was, Dragunov ripped his plaster off and you could see a nice line of just stitches. And I was waiting for them to be opened up at every mm. single point. And I'm very happy they weren't because that could have gotten ugly to the point of um, like possibly, because that's not like just like a blade cut. That was a, like a serious kind of jagged cut that he had open. So I was very, very scared that it, that might have hampered the match, but it didn't. And it was just just amazing. Everything about it was fantastic. I loved I love Ilya's facial expressions. You really can see that he's just so desperate to win. Walter is just Walter is Walter. Um, I don't. I, I still. I, I still like the maybe the first match was they were they were both good. It's hard to compare them both, but it's just just some of the strikes, some of the like the the, the chops to the neck just made me grimace. The chops mm-hmm. to the, and then they just the the punches to the neck as Dragonov just like wants to lock in that uh, sleeper and I really enjoyed that Walter was trying to lock in that sleeper and Dragunov was trying everything to, to stop him. It was a story built around one finisher move and it was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. There were actually some hits at one point when I was watching it that made my face gag with disgust because of how hard they were hitting. Um, but I fucking loved this match. But, it w- but the thing is, it wasn't just a match it was a fight it was the sort of fight you would see in the third act of an action movie where the hero is bloodied and bruised and battered and refuses to give up this is like captain russia battling against thanos with all six (laughs) fucking infinity stones and he finally wins but what i loved was i feel that the the story told during this was absolutely fantastic because I don't know whether you guys remember how quickly um, Walter was trying to go for the chop and the fact that Ilya was very clever at putting over yeah. the danger of the chop by tr- continuously trying to stop it. And then the moment Walter finally gets to hit that chop, he quickly follows it up with the apron powerbomb. And these are two of his biggest moves and he's hitting it in quick succession very early on, showing how dangerous Ilya actually is as a threat. And then from then on then, you've got Ilya basically just trying to battle back against the odds. But it's the second half of the match, which I find even better because of the story it tells. I don't know whether you guys noticed. You have it, the lariat, a vicious chop, a fold-up powerbomb, a powerbomb and splash. All of these things that Walter has done to vanquish other opponents and Ilya kicks out of it was just really telling a tremendous story of how desperate Walter was getting to try and defeat it. And I know some people are surprised that Walter tapped. I actually thought that was the perfect ending because it's very easy to knock someone out briefly and be able to get the victory. Um, Especially if you've returned from 18 months out of uh, the business and have a 26 second match at SummerSlam. But, um, what this did instead was that this was an admittance from Walter that Ilya was his equal. And that's why the, the tap out was so important. 
So the build up to that ending was for me the best ending of the night because yeah, it, was it, it was perfect. It was two warriors and the hero finally vanquishing the villain. And the fact that he had to tap out was such an awe-inspiring moment. And that perfect image at the end of Ilya's foot on water really sold the image of the warrior having felled the beast. And this was some tremendous iconography. And I fucking loved every second of this match. Yeah, I loved the the little details. And uh, the one thing I love Walter doing is just screaming Ilya and screaming in German at him, what I presume is... I think yeah, it is Jerry where, where he's just screaming and you can hear it's just just enough to hear that he's just like give up or just lay Die. down and accept the year. Yeah, it's 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 just everything about it. The little details, just and the 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 color. I mean, maybe it's just a wrestling thing, or maybe he just had it from when he was a. But the the difference in Elias face to his body is just insane. It's like a re, It's like he's been sunburned to fuck. But it's just it's scary how much punishment he can take and still just get the, the suplex the high high suplex that landed on his head mm. and that's why that, that they are moments where i was like that cut's gonna open up and we're gonna have a bit of problem um but oh it was just just everything about it the like scott what why do you when when you said that the finish of Dakota versus Raquel was your favorite, what what did did something not hit in the finish of this, or was it just you oh, preferred no. the other finish? No, I, I think I, did, I get why they had like lose by submission everything, and I was definitely shocked about. I think it was just the the way they pulled off the finish to the women's one. I wasn't expecting at least from the way they lifted the core from the ground up to the middle and then off the to the power ball. I just I think it was just I think it was just a personal thing. I just heard the way they pulled that off. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I do. I, I get why you guys love this finish more and what it meant because uh, I noticed the thing that you already mentioned, Sam, about how they did the the spots that he's already beaten other opponents with. Like he does the shots, the lariat they use, which he beat Tyler Bate with after their forty minute epic at Cardiff, but that didn't, wasn't enough. He did the splash off the top, which he beat Pete Dunne with. So that wasn't enough for that. Plus the fact he made and tap out, like. You needed it to be a very definitive win for the person who beat Waller because I know they probably I don't think his reign would have got anywhere near how long it went uh, if it hadn't been for the pandemic. I think it would have probably lost it if, when they did that Dublin show when they originally were planning on doing it. Uh, they probably would have lost it then. But you got to the point where he's held it for this long, he's beaten everybody, and like he doesn't come to the US often. But when they have brought him over like for World's Collider for his match with Champa, they've made him look dominant. So even if you are there in the capital wrestling center and you don't watch Inc. to UK, but you've seen his other appearances, you know how good and how dominating Walter is. So the guy who's going to beat him has to be made to look incredible. And yeah, I think you really did that for, for Elian. I think what makes sets us apart from the, uh, the, the other matches, I think the other match was a lot more one-sided in favor of Walter just punishing Elia, whereas it was a lot more back and forth this time around. Where Ilya was kind of learning, he dominated the first few minutes, which is why Walter went so quickly for the the open pearl because he knew that he was going to have to do something different. He'd put Ilya away this time. Yeah, give me give me Ilya versus Joe. Just saying. Well, mean, hang on, hang on. Ilya versus Joe. Give me Walter versus Joe. Yeah, I, 
I would love that. But what's Walter's situation going to be now? Now, this is something I wanted to discuss briefly because we're I'm, I'm a bit tight for time. But I really want to discuss what Walter because we all know Walter doesn't want to live in America. Maybe he can. Maybe his mind will be changed. But he seems like I don't think you could change Walter's mind very few times. I don't think you win an argument with him nine times out of ten. But what do you think Walter's situation is now? Because there very much is a ceiling if his mindset is still stuck on. Like the NST UK worked quite well for him. But in terms of America and in more particular the main roster, I think there's going to be a big kind of clash with with management. I think uh, the word is that they're going back to the Tate format of NXT where they take at least three or so weeks worth in one. So if they do that, maybe they can convince Walter to come over like a series of tapings, tape a bunch of stuff. Like if he's going to have a match at another, I take over, film a bunch of his build and then film like vignettes for the other weeks he's not on TV. And then you can basically come over, you can get away with come over like once a month for NXT. So he comes over more regularly, but he doesn't have to stay there on a full-time basis. So I know also there's all talk that USA don't want it to take, but if they are going to go with the Tate format, then that might mean we see more of Walter. Mm, I can, I get the idea behind that one. I think another thing that's going to tie in is that to some degrees, uh, I could see within the next year or two, NXT UK gradually rescinding and pretty much closing because it's like considering that they're cracking down on NXT in general, it's unlikely they're going to allow what is probably a relative money loss in NXT UK continue. So yeah, yeah, once Vince finds out that it exists, it's done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thankfully, Nick Khan, from the sounds of it, is just as obsolete and uh, idiotic about it, so he probably wouldn't realise. Oh, that, um, that interview made my head hurt, but we're not there to talk about that today. <laughs> uh, no, don't get me started. What a prick. Um, but to some degrees, I'm wondering whether we're going to end up having it, if they're going back to tapings, whether or not eventually we're going to have a NXT versus NXT UK um meeting where basically the titles will uh be put together i'm trying to i can't remember the word which is really annoying. unified yes that's the one unified so you end up having it like um the nxt uk women's and tag team champions come over and they'll battle msk or and raquel for instance or kaylee ray depending on if she beats raquel you could have it that the next big thing is going to be whoever is the NXT champion is going to face the NXT UK champion, which I don't necessarily think is going to be um, Samoa Joe, but or even Karrion Cross or even Walter. I think it's going to be someone else, but that's down the line when we get to it. I do feel that there's something possibly in place that could be interesting, but I would legitimately be surprised if NXT UK is still around within the next two years. So in that regards, if they go to the taping, they could utilize the UK talents to hopefully supplement a little bit more. But then how many of them are actually going to be the style that Nick Khan wants? Because it's basically Nick Khan, pretty much, that's now in charge. Um, I mean, you like big, tall guy, like guys are about six. But I mean, you've got Eddie Dennis there. So for all three weeks before he gets injured again, I'm sure Nick Khan will love having Eddie Dennis on NXT US. I'm pretty sure that more likely Nick Khan's just going to look at the fact that he's been injured so many times and go, nope, rid of him, gone, yeah. boom. Go work in DPD with Jimmy Havoc. Sorry. I mean, although he, although he said, like, 
Oh, I, I, don't, I was going to say I don't mean shit wrong, but I, I kind of do. Like, Eddie Dennis was a teacher, and I hope it wasn't fucking drama that he talked, because he can't get a promo to save his life, and I mean, he can't do a face with it other than weird eyes bulging out of his fucking or shushing. He's shushing people now. I don't know why. I, 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 look at, I look at WWE. I watch WWE through YouTube videos, bar pay views, and I watch NXT UK through gifs. <laughs> it's that, that, that's, that's the point it's gone to. But um, yeah. I think if you're going to do the thing that you said, Sam, I'd like to do them to unify like, the tag and the women's. I think there's somebody said about keeping the the UK belt around as its own thing, but maybe just rebrand it, make it the European title, and I'll bring that back. Uh, <laughs> Or maybe combine it with the North American Championship. But the thing is, is that you've already said there's like pretty much feels like there's seven titles. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to have it, that it's going to go completely to tapings. Are they really going to have enough material to justify having all of those championships? Yeah, bring back the Euro Continent, Euro Continental title and have Kurt Angle come back. It sounds like you almost were about to say the Euro Continental. And I feel that if Velvet Dream come back, that would be appropriate. <laughs> Anywho, Anywho as as, as Gilia, I think I can see a match with him him returning to the US NXT to face uh, Pete Dunne in a rematch because you know Dunne beat him a couple of weeks ago and you can tell the thing like well Dunne's annoyed that he couldn't beat Walter but Gilia could and how he built NXT UK and all that good stuff as long as they don't try and put Reg Holland in the UK title things because he also has to be British you know keep him the fuck away from it proper uh, British uh, moving on, match I thought was actually going to main event the show, but it took the semi main spot, the two or three falls match, or three stages of hell basically, but they don't want to call it that for some reason. Between, the undisputed finale. Yes, between Carol O'Reilly and Adam Cole, and you know it, it ended on a two one in favor of Keller, which was uh, I could see happening, but I thought it was going to be Adam won the first fall and then and Carol won two straight, and that they'd win the what the match that the other person chose mm-hmm. a weird twist. Yeah, similar to what Austin uh, Triple H, where they said, "Oh, the first fall, this will favor, this will favor Triple H." Austin wins that, and then they did the same for the second fall. Yeah, I uh, this was abrupt, and I'm going to go on a limb and say people always say that like management don't don't read what's said on the internet. I fully believe with this match that as that theory is a lie because I fully believe they watch what people were saying about this in the build up, and they did the exact opposite. Yeah, they made this abrupt. It, there was. They didn't let the story play out because they didn't want it to be an hour and 15 and people to get angry again. Mm. Which is if, um, they didn't have a go, the, the person lose their own stipulation. And judging by the Young Bucks bio and Britt Baker on Twitter, if they're to be believed, this is Adam Cole's swan song. And uh, he's going to leave a lot behind a fantastic legacy as the man who was at the head of the company the last time NXT was good. Uh, or as good as it could have been. Mm. Um, I like both wrestlers in this match but something just didn't feel right I really love Kyle I'm a massive Kyle fan and I like Adam Cole but something just didn't feel right here this was this was actually half the length of the the uh, unsanctioned match that match was the unsanctioned match was twice as long as this match went I mean I liked what they did with the the, the first ball you know having Kyle get the ups that went to annoy Adam uh, like like start off because he said oh there was not going to be no need for a third fall and then he was like I thought we were going to have to go with third of all that prick just beat me. You know, he said it with his face expressions, not with his words. Uh, but yeah, it does feel quite abrupt in, in a way. Uh, the street fight probably was a long set with the three. I did like that Adam pulled out the lockjaw at one point during uh, the street fight. 
And then there, the cage finish kind of just ended very abruptly, you know, after the Panathon right then you did the handcuff spot. But again, a very definitive loss to, you know, send, potentially send Adam on his way while I'm losing by submission. But I don't know if people in the Cowboy Wrestling Center just preferred Adam Cole and don't like this new version of Kyle O'Reilly, or if they're just annoyed about Adam losing and him potentially leaving. Because I heard some very loud shouts of bullshit yeah. after Kyle won. <laughs> I don't think it's anything to do with Kyle O'Reilly or Adam Cole in terms of whether they prefer one or the other because they were completely into the match up until then. I think you already have it that the match feels a little bit like it's on fast forward at times. Like it's pretty much like you had someone editing the match and every beat in between moves, they just cut out. So it goes straight to the next move to some degrees, which is why it was so fast paced. Um, The ending feels quite, out of nowhere like i i was a bit surprised at how sudden it was um so just suddenly out of nowhere carl riley gets the heel hook in but it's also the fact that ko is tapping next to a candlestick like literally like just extend his hand two inches and he's got the candlestick and it just feels like this was a finish that was planned and just didn't go down well because there was too many questions about it i I was sat there going, really? And it just yeah. felt, it just, like, O'Reilly winning in about three minutes does make sense. It um, it shakes up the expectation. O'Reilly is the better wrestler. It it gives Cole a reason to be panicked and, and frenzied and that sort of thing. But I, I don't it, know. It, it wasn't a send-off, and there was nothing send-off-y about um, apart from him losing, um, Young Bucks very quickly to put a link YouTube link in their bio, uh, <laughs> saying top 10 seances. You look up the definition of seance, a meeting in which pe- people attempt to make contact with the dead. If you yeah. all remember, Adam Cole had been killed on being the elite. Um, brilliant, I love it. Um, I just I love the Young Bucks bios, um, hilarious shithousery. Um, no more than 10 minutes after this match ended, I believe. Um, and um, whatever will be, will be. But this was just very, very strange. Um, and if Adam Cole wants to have a good career, he will know where to go. Because if he goes to the main roster, he seems like the kind of guy who loves his wrestling. He actually has CM Punk on his Mount Rushmore. I cannot see a way where he picks the main roster. I genuinely cannot fathom a way in my mind where he thinks the main roster is where I should be. Even something as little as like it's it may seem daft to us, but his Twitch account, which seems to matter a lot to him, like he has had moments where he, recently he said to his followers, "I'm not getting rid of the Twitch uh, channel," but if he goes to the main roster, he would have to. Mm-hmm. So that was just either he's staying in NXT, which wouldn't make sense because he has done everything. There's nothing else he can do, and he put over Kyle O'Reilly in a manner that will allow Kyle O'Reilly to now go into the main event, which is what I'm really looking forward to. And I feel it was a really good yeah. um, decision to have O'Reilly go over. But if this is really the end, there was no moment to suggest it. There's no like when Gargano and Champa are facing one another as the end of their feud and culminating in it. This feels like, they just they cut out that moment and went straight to the finish. And I think that's what's so strange about this in particular in this match is it feels like 
if this is supposed to be the ending, it feels like a lot of sections that would tell it's the ending were cut out properly. And it just makes me wonder what happened. It feels very strange. But if Adam Coe is still there in a year's time, I will be surprised. Um, if Kyle O'Reilly has not become NXT champion within a year's time, I will be surprised. Yeah, if Adam Cole is there in the next three months, I'll be surprised, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, think- I, think, I think it's similar to uh, Daniel Bryan. No, he didn't leave WWE because he, he's, he's angry with them. He left because he's going to go where... Uh, where allows him to do New Japan and it just happens to be AEW has the relationship that allows him to do that. I think it's similar with Cole on the Twitch where he'll go wherever he is allowed, wherever he's allowed to still do the Twitch if he can't do it on the main roster, he's not going to stay with the main roster he's probably going to go to AEW if he somehow works out a deal where he can still do the Twitch, then he'll be on the main roster maybe even at some point this week because you know, I don't know what's happened, all the reports say that this was his last appearance in and he has not seen any, anything new since he signed that extension a couple of months ago so yeah, there's no there's no known compete hell he could show up I don't get to see it all out he could show up on fucking the rampage before all out if he wanted to it, it's it's honestly a number like listen when this whole kind of twitch thing is is it's crazy to me because if Adam Cole joins if Adam Cole joins let's say hypothetically they will bring in fuzzy fans from Jericho they'll bring in movie fans from Punk Mm-hmm. They'll bring it. They bring him back the Laps fans, and that's something I'll talk about later. They're bringing Twitch fans from Adam Cole. Adam Cole will be like this company, and there'll be people because people on honestly, I've seen Twitch. Twitch is a very stand culture. It's yeah. it's a very very. If if my Twitch streamer says watch this, I will go and watch this, whether that's a healthy thing or not. But for AW, Adam Cole talking about AW every week. All the people on Twitch and AW, they do like um, Among Us, where they have like eight or nine um, uh, AW stars doing like Among Us or Dungeons and Dragons. If people hear about it, they will fall because they pay money to watch this person stream and they hang on their every word. And to have this Twitch being cut off by W is an is an apps and, and that's the reason why I believe that the ratings will the ratings will see a massive shift before the end of the year if if they, if Brian and and Adam Cole, um, uh, Brian will bring in the Oscar Ring of Honor fans from back in the day. It's an absolute G. Like pe- people talk about, oh, bringing in XW guys. There's only two companies in the world. That argument's completely invalid for me. AEW are doing the right thing right now, and there's an absolute power shift coming, and this is the next step if it's true. Yeah, I think I definitely think if Cole goes after him and like Brian eventually makes the debut, I do think AEW should then take a break from signing people because yeah. they've got four shows. And still, there are some people who only appear once, once out of the four, uh, because of there's so much going on. I mean, Dark alone, you know, I, I watch it say once every fucking six months. It's already ninety minutes at this stage most weeks. So elevation has some really good main events. Very, yeah, very good main yeah, events. I, I did see the main event of a uh, TH2 v Lucha Brothers. That was really good. I don't necessarily agree with the idea of that. If they do sign Cole and Brian and why uh, that they should stop signing people because like at the end of the day if they have these talents that they feel can contribute to what they have they are idiots if they don't take advantage of it and the way that it's set up at the moment yes you have several main stars who appear quite regularly because they're the ones in the major storylines but the mid cards downwards for instance you can have a lot of exchanges and the difference is that with AEW is it's not going to be like say 
WWE where you have the same 20 guys appearing every single fucking week. You can have it that one week you get four or five of the big stars. Then yeah, you can have like Punk is speaking next week and that gets people hyped. Yeah, because they're not planning just for the next 20 minutes. They're planning for the next 20 weeks or months. They are saying, right, we're going to have like four big major events next month, all on Dynamite. And also we're going to have Rampage. So let's book this match for two weeks time. Let's book this match for three weeks time. They have these big moments and allow for it while at the same time pushing these new talents that were unknown before. And like, well, relatively unknown, like uh, Britt Baker, Darby Allen, um, MJF, Sammy Guevara, Jungle Boy. You're having all of these young talents being put over and you don't need the big names to appear every week. You can have a week where the main event is MJF versus Sammy Guevara and it's the most exciting match that everyone is looking forward to that week because it's not necessarily about how many people you have. It's how you use them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. It's weirdly turned into an AEW show. I'll talk about it, but it, but it, but it, but it, but it, if he is going to go AEW, then it needs to be talked about. And like, I, I'd love for you know, if, I don't know how long Hangman's going to be away from TV, but if they can do a segment where Gold just confronts Kenny and the Bucks, and they act legit like they thought he was dead, <laughs> I think that'd be just fucking hilarious. Uh, yeah. So if he come, if, if 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 he just comes up like out of a coffin, if Darby Allen brings a coffin out and his debut is just him like coming out of a coffin, just mm-hmm. empty out of, out of nowhere, just for the crack. But um, but no, um, yeah. Uh, sorry for sorry for bringing that into AEW discourse, but it's very hard at the moment. But uh, fantastic. Let's. I'll try and transition by saying I very much enjoyed the main event, apart from when the crowd decided to take their matters into their own hands. Well, you mean loudly chatting where is Scarlett during Cross's entrance, which is a fair question because, you know, he, uh, she, she's singing his fucking entrance song, for Christ's sake. And, you know, the Hardy losses just fucked Cross. I mean, they were already, the booking was already weird because since they beat Balor in the rematch on NXT a few months ago, NXT just suddenly went out of the way to say, oh, you're crap, aren't you? Basically, had everybody come out and basically say, oh, you'll be exposed eventually and everything. And they went to Raw, got exposed. And then comes back and still try. He's so desperate to be still taking seriously. Had him beat up William Regal before running bravely, running away like Sir Robin from Samoa Joe when he tried to confront him about it. And then yeah, this match it was twelve minutes, and I found myself very hard struggling to get into it. Really, I just wanted Joe to batter him and get it over and done with. And I was curious after the last match. I think well, Joe's main thing is the clutch. I think he can have three straight submission wins, and then Joe pulled out the muscle buster. For the first time since I think he went to the main roster, the first time, and I was happy to see it. Yeah, everyone but Tyson Kidd was probably happy to see it. Um, He's having Vietnam flashbacks. You weren't yeah. there, man. Yeah, but um, but no, it was cool to see Joe because Joe is the man. Um, Joe is the man. Um, yeah, it. But I just couldn't get. I, I can't get invested. Uh, the Carrion Cross title reign reminds me of the Bobby Roode title reign, where it just felt so out of place. No matter what they did, I couldn't get invested in it. I don't know if you guys felt that link, but I felt like that was. If we're talking about moments where NXT kind of pat like passed away, <laughs> um, 
the Bobby Roode one was a big one, despite what happened since with the Adam Cole stuff. It was a big kind of sign of uh, stuff starting to creep in, and this kind of reminded me of that in the worst way possible. For me, I have to admit, I have never been a fan of Karrion Cross. Um, he's just never done it for me. I find him... He's all smoke and mirrors. Uh, pardon the pun oh. for his... Uh, for his actual um, uh, <laughs> entrance, but it's just like severe lack of mirrors in his entrance. Yeah, unfortunately, that would really be the base. That would be what gets him over most with me. But like when he won the title originally against Keith Lee, that was probably one of the worst takeover main events I'd ever seen, just because it was so blah and boring. And considering how good I've seen Keith Lee be. I'm not going to, I don't think it was necessarily his fault. Um, the five way in your house, um, cross was probably the least compelling element of it. And it many felt like a fatal five way to make him look like the biggest badass on the planet. But you take <laughs> away, you take away Scarlet Bordeaux and, um, and suddenly a major element of what makes him interesting to fans is already gone. His in-ring work, I find very underwhelming and bland and boring. And I think his Saito suplex, I feel, isn't really that great. Because I remember no, when he no, beat... No, it's a, it's a side suplex. Exactly. I remember when he beat um, Keith Leaf with it off the, off the second turnbuckle. And I literally went, that's it. I, <laughs> I was so, like, shocked. I think he tore his shoulder out doing that. Yeah, and that should have been the sign that you should that it, something was going to go wrong. Uh, I thought Cross was pushed too soon. Um, I he got injured straight away as soon as he won the championship. He then came back. He was given the title again. I've been. I've not. I'm not interested in him or NXT. And got then, to, yeah, he got buried, which just ended up killing any aura he had. So what you have is that by the time this match actually comes around. What could it be been two massive behemoths taking each other on instead has become a complete and utter afterthought? Oh and man. Sorry to interrupt you, you just reminded me. How the f- fuck could they have they had him lose to Jeff Hardy and then come on NXT like do a full main roster thing, which I never thought NXT would do, which is like insult our intelligence by having him come on Wednesday night and confront Joe and make us think that we're meant to fucking be like, oh shit, carrying cross convention. We just saw him lose to Jeff Hardy who hasn't won in who lost to Jinder Mahal on main event the week beforehand in three fucking minutes. Yeah. Yeah, you just completely demolished anything impressive about it. So therefore it's a complete Waste of time. Jinder you, Mahal, Jinder Mahal for NXT champs. What I'm saying. Fuck right off. <laughs> that would, if NXT wasn't dying, that would kill it. I mean, I don't, I don't need Mister Back Acne appearing as the NXT champion when the closest he should have ever gotten and has been was in the tournament to originally oh, come yeah. up with a champion, and he was probably still one of the worst ones there. Um, I think I think this is one of the few things we should take be happy about that the NXT is not expanding into other countries that they were originally planning because you know they did that superstar spectacle which I think was then meant to lead to NXT India and they had done NXT India you know for a fact Jinder would have been fucking the first ever champion held the belt for like 18 months fucking hell I thought they were going to do that when he became WWE champion I mean the fact that against Drew McIntyre you can actually legitimately say the words 
these are two former WWE champions currently battling one another makes me want to die a little bit inside. Uh, this is nothing personal against Jinder Mahal. I'm sure he's a lovely fella. I'm sure he's tried his hardest. He is not a main eventer. Plain and yeah. simple. And neither is Karen Cross. Like, like I've seen before, like they're already kind of the signs were already there that he was going downhill. It didn't help that NXT kind of as also as the connection of NXT really changing quality wise with him being champion. And like they're already kind of like saying like you're not that good like Adam Cohn joined Garabi saying that try and insult him and then joined Garabi come in and saying Candice is a better wrestler than you. So Candice for NXT champion, thank you. Uh so that was already about it, and then they had them lose to Jeff Hardy in two minutes. Nobody at that role really reacted for Karrion Cross, and then you have Cross kind of you have Joel kind of almost mentioned that he was uh, on Raw, and then Cross kind of plays off as oh I go wherever I want as as if he's bragging about it. Like are you trying to sound tough? Like you go wherever you want. So you wanted to go and lose to Jeff in two minutes, did you? You fucking idiot. And like even before this Hardy loss, like the only reason I said with Joel, Joel just completely outclassed him. And they just turned him into this stereotypical coward heel and had him do all his own talking instead of having Scarlet speak for him. Like, there's a reason Scarlet's so important to you. is because you can't fucking talk. Mm. Karrion Cross basically wanted the aura that Joe already has. But Joe has earned that by being a legitimate badass who can talk on the mic, can insult anyone, and can actually back it up. That's the thing. Why your base? This story is supposed to be that it's a younger, hungrier animal battling against um, the experienced Samoa Joe. But in actuality, what you're really getting is the classic legend that is Samoa Joe battling a wannabe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... It just it lost all heat, and it's sad to say that about Samoa Joe match. As good as he was, it wasn't his fault. But like, hopefully, he can do something decent with the belt. Um, I just don't. I, I just it, it it's there used to be such high investment, and you hate to compare era, like compare things, but you have to. That's how you that's how you gauge what's good and what's bad. Um, it's it was just it was a jarring main event to watch after like such a good such a good couple of matches it was just when your main event's not your best like your main event unless someone pulls someone out of the bag your main event should really be your best match on the card if they swapped this in the UK championship I'd say this card would have automatically been even better because it would the build up would have been better and you would have finished on the best result possible Yep, and a hotter crowd. Yes. Yeah. I mean, at least we can take the silver that Cross is no longer champion. Joe's back full time, and we can all speculate who he's going to face. Maybe it'll be Waller. Maybe it'll be Pete Dunne because they've teased that a couple of times, and you you can't just keep teasing us with that and not eventually, you know, deliver on it. And you know, who knows? I, I did laugh earlier in the night where he had the same between him and Regal, and we were just six to ten. Goes, kick it, go, go kick his ass. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it, 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 was, it wasn't as good as the sign on Rampage. It said Don Callis sits when he pees. Because <laughs> he definitely does. Kind oh, of into like, going to SummerSlam. I don't know about you guys, but I watched SummerSlam in a friend's house. And like, because my friend's moving, it's just moved into a new house not long ago. 
and so we had a bunch of me and a bunch of other friends who were all, most of whom I hadn't been in the same room with for almost 18 months so it was kind of a reunion slash summer slam party uh, and it was a bit where one of the guys hadn't seen the punk thing on Rampage and so one of the guys put it on the, the telly and we watched it and then after that we just muted it and we put the Spotify playlist on that everybody had been contributing to but also nobody turned off the telly after Rampage finished, so randomly just kept automatically playing random episodes of Dynamite <laughs> and so you had weird points of of wrestlers walking out to whatever was playing on the Spotify list at the time so you had such highlights as the Young Bucks coming out to Rockstar by Nickelback mm-hmm. uh, Moxley making his entrance through the crowd to Callie Minogue <laughs> and the best one and I just love how this worked is Sting doing the no sell of the table bump from last week and doing his big Sting Hulk up while more than a feeling plays <laughs> Oh, oh beautiful. I would that love that. beautiful. I feel like you now need to end this with uh, more than a feeling uh, <laughs> as, as the main outro song because that would be absolutely amazing. Um, I was, what, I was, I was, I was pretending, I now pretending between that and smoke and Cody Rhodes' old smoke and mirrors song because of what you said about Canyon Cross. <laughs> uh, Rian, I know you've got it's a, a limited kind of window before you need to head out. Uh, conveniently, yeah. just as we're talking about SummerSlam, uh, you know he he stayed there. He helped ex- he extended the NXT chat, and then he conveniently he's buggering off. But before you go, overall, what would uh, your thoughts be on SummerSlam? Yeah, I stayed for like the somewhat positives, and then I'm just gonna leave before I get too depressed talking about wrestling again because I'm I'm quite happy about wrestling right now. Um, I the hate second to bring time, back, uh, second time he's done this. He did this right before the four way May 2000. He's got some, <laughs> a precedent for this. It's yep. unbelievable. Fuck yeah. Unbelievable. Well, when we did the AEW one, I just will never leave. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, SummerSlam. Uh, a lot of good. Like, just there were some very, very good matches. But it was just overshadowed and over... You, as we they always say, the, the main course can be as good as it wants. But if the dessert's not very good, then it's... And there was a lot of stuff in between the main course and a, and a, and a lovely dessert that just didn't make sense. That just didn't make sense at all. Um, it's amazing how you can. I'm not. I hate to bring them up, but AEW used their biggest return and the biggest return in the last set, uh, last seven years in wrestling, last ten, whatever, how many years you want to call it, to elevate people. The first line of his promo was about Britt Baker. He mentioned Darby Allen. You brought back Becky Lynch and you buried your biggest champion um, at one of your biggest pay per views who you built up and who had through some tough feuds that you put her in, still got over. And that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, the Becky pop, it, it was very, 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 very st- um, startling to see that um, that the pop for Becky was huge. And then the pop for the pin was silent. They were silent when the pin, because they were like, oh, this is what you brought her back for. It felt like such a knee-jerk reaction. The Brock Lesnar stuff, like was uh, was was okay and that interests me with the Paul Heyman stuff but it all felt very knee-jerk mixed that with Eva Marie who should never be anywhere near a wrestling ring um I could wrestle better than her and I have glass knees and ankles um <laughs> and a doll I cannot wait to hear you guys talk about the doll I know Scott oh. will fucking cut the doll's head off um uh but I just 
it it's so hard. And and I've seen all the takes on Twitter. Give it a chance. Listen, WWE lost their give it a chance or give it time card a long, long time ago with their booking. Absolutely. And, and this feels just after Friday. And we, I hate to come. I, I keep saying I hate to compare things. I actually just don't. I need to stop saying it. It's just it's uh, they're worlds apart, and they are in serious, serious danger. Um, they have cut. Uh, they had Big E and Baron Corbin, two of their most over stars on the. Mo- on the pre-show when you had even Marie on the main card, there's just some baffling booking going on. It's outdated. It's scary. And you can pack 60,000 people into the stadium all you want. But half of them weren't invested. A lot of them are, a lot of them are being brought in based on, based on a show's coming to Vegas. We're going to go. It's double, but a lot of them are leaving being like, what was the point? Because of just some absolute baffling, Baffling book, and I, I, there's some very few positives to bring out of it. The RK bro was very over. I'm sure they can do some good with that, and they can continue that to a feud with Mania with Riddle and uh, Randy. Um, the Sheamus and Damian Priest match, I couldn't get invested in as good as, as good as it can be in ring if I can't get invested. Don't get me started on Big Bill Goldberg. Jesus Christ, the murdered a 14 year old in the ring. Um, Dominic 2.0. Um, and they could have they could have made that better. I think that match would have better if Goldberg won. That's my hot take because I think if Goldberg won, Fuck and, off. no, listen, let me finish. If Goldberg won a Biggie cashed in that contract, that would have made that so much better. Biggie comes in, big uh, end ends Goldberg's two match contract has him go away because I do not want to see him. And thank God I'm not going to watch that Saudi show for that rematch because fuck that. Um, Edge and Sarah was as good as it could have been. They, I think Edge understands what modern wrestling is. I think Edge, in the build-up to this feud, has done a very good job because I think he watches outside wrestling and I think he, he stood out on the counter. As much as people say, oh, he's an all-timer, I think he gets what modern wrestling is and through his promos and his investment in the story and his little creative freedom that he's given from Vince, I think he made this bearable and I think it was quite good. Um, but yeah, those are my overall thoughts. I think... Uh, I think Roman and Cena and Edge and Rollins was great. And uh, do not and uh, or Truth is a forty-two time twenty-four-seven champion. So Charlotte Flair, you can get fucked. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, Scott, but I think you can pack it, book it, and probably release that. Yep. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Um, it was a, a absolute pleasure. Sorry for my my rant there, but I think I kind of I I'd said it to Kieran earlier. Um, it's just very hard to, I, even when there's a good match on a main W card, it's just hard because there's no investment. There is no, when they don't want to get invested in their stories, how are they meant to make us believe it? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there, that was my two or, I would have said two cents, but I was more like 200 euro. Um, but, yeah, um, much love, guys. And as my dog starts barking, I'm going to love you and leave you and bid you to fair do Kenny Omega style. But uh, I will uh, see you guys soon for some, some more chat and we'll definitely need to start recording more on the regular. Bye. See you guys. Enjoy. Bye bye. See you later, mate. And so we come to the re- uh, terms with the release of Rian from this episode of the podcast. Uh, we be- wish him the best of luck in his future endeavors and uh, wherever else he's going on with. So that, that was his two cents on the show. Uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, uh, as much as I joked about the, the toilets, I did look. Visually, a really good stadium, even though they kind of, I don't want to say cheapened out on the entrance, you know, the, the, slope, the kind of curved ramp was very similar to Mania 19, but the actual bit where they walked out looked very house show-esque. I've been in my fair share of house shows, I know what it looks like. Uh, so, you know, it was weird 
that way, like maybe this is something to cram more people in. And I mean, I, I know I like Baron Corbin. I like Big E. Don't know if I wanted to see them in the pre-show match because uh, I think I could have done with that on SmackDown, mainly so they could move one of the matches, namely even with Evie looks of this, to the pre-show. Because I'm thinking I was already annoyed that the main show started at one o'clock, and then if I was you're telling me that I'm going to sit through a ten match uh, main card starting at one a.m. UK time <laughs> when I was already three or four strombos in on that evening. Well, to be fair, before we even start our review of it, I've already opened up a can of Factious Gold uh, to get me through just discussing the damn pay-per-view. So that should give you an idea of what's ahead of us. Yeah, uh, I I love Baron Corbin. This new version of Baron Corbin, I don't know about you. I mean, I feel like I gave a rush thing. Oh, Biggie's got the briefcase back probably because by the end of the month I want to do the draft, so he'll need the briefcase back if he's going to go to Raw, as the rumours suggest. But I don't know about you. Do you know where I want to see this Baron Corbin thing culminate? Probably the Universal Championship. I want to see him win King of the Ring. I want to see him become a two-time King of the Ring winner because he lost his crown, his life went to shit. Shinsuke got the crown, he's Intercontinental Champion. So clearly there's some magical power within that uh, that crown, so Baron has to get his crown back to make everything all right. And so he takes all these shortcuts, wrestles in his sweaty, stained T-shirt, through the entire King of the Ring tournament, make, they make you think for a second, maybe Baron Corbin will be nicer once he gets his crown back, because he's had to earn for it, he's learned the value of hard work. Comes out the very next week, clean shaven again, old gear back on, I knew everything was going to work out, I don't need help, I don't need money from any of you. See, I like the idea of what you're saying about him um, re, uh, winning the King of the Ring for a second time, but... I'm actually going to suggest a different idea. I feel like he should go into the King of the Ring. I feel he should battle to the final and then lose and see whether or not the audience is on his side. Because if you can have it, you can turn this tremendous douchebag into a fan favorite. That is actually surprisingly good writing from WWE. And I'd like to see whether they can rise to that challenge, whether or not they could actually do it. Personally, I don't I, I don't think they could. I don't think they have the subtlety anymore to do so. But if they could do that, I would actually be impressed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it was what it was. I've loved all the different ways that they've kind of failed on Baron Corman's suffering, like saying that his phone's on his mum's plan. <laughs> I love it. Uh, then we got the main show, which I heard... The original W wanted to get Mike Tyson to record the voiceover for the intro, and I responded to that thinking, have you ever heard Mike Tyson speak? <laughs> I mean, you had Terry Crews a few years ago, there's a clear difference in, in voices here. Uh, yeah, the main show, no pyro or anything, which I was kind of disappointed in, and you opened up with RK Bro versus AJ and Oma for the tag team titles, and, you know, so Riddle comes out on his scooter, and then he kind of points to the entrance weight and they kind of linger on it for a while before Warren comes out. And so for a second, I'm like, please tell me Randy's going to come out on his own scooter. Please, please, please. Randy just walks out. Oh, fuck off, Randy. You're no fun. Yeah, he's, he's, he doesn't do fun. We should know that by now. Mm-hmm. He is, and I can probably say this as being the younger brother. Riddle is the younger brother who Orton's mum has told him, come on, if you're going out, take your wee brother with you. I don't care. I don't care if, they, if you're going to meet your friends. Take your wee brother with you. As long as it doesn't end up with a hereditary type scene where Riddle's beheaded, then I think we're okay. 
<laughs> just takes his head out while he's on the skirts. Yeah, RKs RKOs him so strongly that his head becomes detached, and then even the Viper's like, "My God, I didn't realize what power I had. These hands have magic quantities to them." And then he just goes around beheading people with the RKO. This could be like the next big murder mystery special. <laughs> but in terms of the match, you know, it, it didn't actually go that long. It was about seven or so minutes. Uh, you know, the fans were behind Riddle and, and Orton, and they were like, like we all knew that they were going to win the tag titles. You know, the RKO spot wasn't spectacular. I thought I thought they were going to do some sort of you know catch AJ at a mid air kind of spot, but. Yeah, we knew it was coming. It was kind of almost a feel-good intro because you know that whole thing of Orton, Orton not wanting to be Riddle's friend, and Riddle's like, "Come on, Randy!" And so I get that as the opener. Uh, what did you think of it? Do you think it could have gone longer? Um, it was um, it was a bit of a uh, strange one to some degree. So I, I thought it was a good choice of opening match. I mean, you have fan favorites in Riddle and AJ Styles who can get the crowd psyched up. Um. I like the end of the match, especially. I think the way that it almost builds upon itself, where you have Riddle wipe out Omos, and then you have Styles wipe out Riddle, and you end up just down to Styles and Autumn, was quite interesting. It just suddenly it seemed like it almost skipped a couple of minutes. So you could imagine that it was a taping, and uh, unfortunately, there was a commercial in the middle of it. It just didn't show the commercial because it does feel like there's a minute or two missing to it. However, I like the res- I think the result was a good choice uh, because RK Bro could make a really good tag team. Uh, it'll be slightly similar, probably, to Riddle with Pete Dunn, in that you have the ultra serious one with the stoner. Um, it injects a bit of new life into Orton as well, and it helps keep Riddle on television. And it's going to sound a little bit strange. I like the moments that when they're leaving the ring, you can almost see Orton trying to get Riddle to stop at times to soak in the moment because Riddle was quite, you could tell, was like quite hyped up on energy. He forgot his scooter. He forgot to fist bump Orton. And you feel like Orton took a moment to say, like, right, stop and pose. And it allowed him to actually soak the moment in as opposed to it just go flying past. Um, I am curious to see what's going to happen with Styles and almost after this because um, AJ is so fantastic that he can do pretty much anything. But you want to see him back in the um, in singles action. He could easily slide into any title scene, whereas almost still needs a bit of teaching. He's He's getting better, but he's not all the way there yet. Um, as an opening match worked well. Um, I've, I've, I want to go back to actually the beginning beforehand. I want to discuss about the opening package and the stage in particular, because the opening package is usually the, the thing that gets you most amped up for the show. And WWE, for all of their faults, usually the one thing you can tell is they are good at doing promo packages and getting you excited i found this one very underwhelming SummerSlam started with their with their opening package and something felt like it was missing it was just happened and that instantly i feel set the tone for the night to some degrees in that it didn't feel like a big deal something felt a little bit off and 
you mentioned about WrestleMania 19 in terms of the way the stage was set up. I actually had that in my notes as well, that it seems to give a much more intimate surrounding. But the entrance had elements of like, do you remember with Madison Square Garden where the entrances were quite small? So, like at Royal Rumble 2000, we had the one where it was like with the taxi on top. Uh, The one where Cena returned at the Royal Rumble, you had it. It was pretty much a couple of doors. It felt like it. They. It felt like they wanted it to be like Madison Square Garden, so they went for a compromise. And obviously, unfortunately, it wasn't in MSG, so it feels like that little thing is missing. And the whole night has that element that something is off something is missing and this sort of sets the standard for the rest of the show in that yeah it was all right it was it was a good opener but there was something missing in the packages there was something missing in the stage and there's something missing in the match and it actually i was a little bit nervous after this match to some degrees or worried or something like that because it felt like something wasn't right I don't know about you. Did you have any of that feelings when you first saw it or any, did you have any hints at all? What, what was your thoughts? I don't think I really paid that much attention to the, the package. I mean, because the packages uh, for me and Rollsbury, even XT now to an extent, they all feel very samey. So I, I tend not to really pay as much attention to them as I used to. Because they used to be one of the best parts of a pay-per-view, the intro package. Uh, so I didn't really take much notice of it. I was probably talking to people at the time because, again, I was happy just to be going around somebody's house and talking to people while watching a wrestling show. Mm. Uh, then Also, the look of the the entrance. Also, I think you could kind of maybe draw comparisons to how they did it in uh, the 2019-2020 Royal Rumbles where they, kind of, they were in baseball stadiums so yeah, kind of people coming out from a dugout, but this is also a football stadium so I think it was that kind of feel. So they've done it before, but I think given that they were hyping it up as a, a WrestleMania worthy show like that we wanted it to be and this is how they were putting the card together. And you can see with some of the matches they got on paper you can say that. But I think, you know, this match went the way you expected it to. I think with all the outcomes you can say instead of a WrestleMania worthy show, WWE gave you the most the safest show I think they could have probably put on for you. They, they gave you the outcomes from for the most part that you expect to see and basically went for the safest outcome they could possibly have given you. There's elements of safety to it. I agree. Um, not necessarily the right way. And some of it will have, I think, more negative effects than anything else. But I'm sure we'll go into detail as we go through, won't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I don't have much to say about this. I said it on the last podcast. That I wasn't really that into the uh, Lily stuff with Alexa. And it's not her fault that she's basically been forced to be the new fiend. Uh, I said in the last podcast, I thought they even re thin their they've you know, they've they had the opportunity to get maximum heat out of this by having to do all the work for their team, maybe have them go after the women's tag titles because at least there'd be a story around those titles. And, you know, like actually make something out of it. But they basically put the do drop story on fast forward, uh, probably because Vince is has been said to be happy with uh, with what uh Doudrop's been doing. And so they took the two stories on Raw and non stories that people don't like and similarly decided it would be a good idea to mash them together. I So I saw um, 
I, I think I, I can't remember whether it was a sign or it was a description someone said, but someone described um, Eva Marie as worse than an airport tuna sandwich. <laughs> and I thought that was fucking inspired. But I actually feel sorry for both of the women in this match. Um, no, all three of them, actually. Um, I feel I don't know who I've, I I don't actually even know who I feel the sorriest for. Um, Eva Marie. Because even though she's a terrible wrestler, the fact that she's getting hated for being kept on while others are being fired, I feel is unfortunately something that WWE continue to do in which they put someone in an unfair position where they get all of the shit for the mistakes that WWE is doing. Even Marie is not capable enough as a wrestler to be appearing on a main pay-per-view and she has been unfairly placed in that position. Uh, I feel sorry for Viper because she's basically playing an idiot. And I think the do drop thing is absolutely fucking stupid, um, which I can't stand. Um, And I feel sorry for Alexa Bliss because she is one of the most capable wrestlers on the, uh, in the women's division. She is a tremendous actress in terms of being able to convince you of what's going on. She has done some excellent work over the last couple of years, but unfortunately, she is now being completely tainted by this Lily doll bollocks. The effects used for it is abominable. Um, it's really painful to watch. And I this was basically this was a match that occurred, and that was it. I, I looked away for a second, I looked back, and it was over. And I miss nothing in my life by it not being on there. Um, I don't think any of the three came out of this any better. If anything, they all probably were tainted by it. Um, And it was only just um, helped by having to not have to sit through too much of Corey Graves doing his best Jerry the Perv King Lawler uh, appreciation of Eva Marie, which is just getting cringy. Um, I just... I feel sorry for all three women involved and I feel the booking for it just lets them down. At least it was short. I think it could have been a lot worse given you know, the limited capabilities of Eva Marie. Uh, the whole Lily thing I could not get behind at all. I mean, I had more you know, patience for the Dewdrop story than I do the Lily stuff. And so at least it was kept short. I was convinced, even like right up until the bell rang, I was convinced they were going to do the whole thing where do drop wrestles for her and everything. Mm. And like the thing I said about them, like basically fat working through it is basically yes, do drop, which was quite funny. Basically saying, and the loser is Eve Marie after you know Eve Marie gives the herself the winner, even though do drop does the work, and she just buggers off wearing her robe as do as Eve Marie's when I made her, <laughs> which. You know, I think would have been made would a lot would have worked a lot more if they actually given that story time. I know I'm in the minority on that, but it's just I think at least as it's moved on. And if hopefully if you're if you're in that stadium and you saw a Lily doll up for sale, please don't buy it. If you're thinking about buying a Lily doll, I know you may have a child who likes Elizabeth, don't buy the doll because they say the continuation of the Lily thing and the likes a lot of the likes of the story apparently depends on merch sales for the lilies that they're selling. So please don't buy one. Please let's not let's do something to end this because I like your can do so much more. If if you have a child who wants a lily doll, I think you should do the right thing 
and give that child away for them to learn better because uh, unfortunately you have been a bad parent in allowing them to actually want a lily doll when that should be the equivalent of asking for Chucky knowing that there's a fucking serial killer inside of it. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> I mean, now I'm thinking Debbie should keep Lily around, but do a WB Studios remake of Chucky just with Lily. But now I'm thinking, who do you get to voice Lily? <laughs> you know, that's in a postcard. We'll do a booking podcast maybe on it. If we, uh, oh, just if we run have, out of ideas. have Lily played by Samuel Jackson. Uh, basically just being like, these motherfuckers, and just be like, this is the weirdest shit I've ever heard, and I fucking love it. <laughs> <sighs> Moving on. I think that sounds up how we felt about the match. Uh, Damien Priest. Ha, 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 ha. Damien Priest. Uh, defeated Seamus to become the US champion. He was already aware of USA-themed gear, because apparently you can't challenge the, the US title or win the US title without wearing something America-inspired. It's in the contract. Uh it was good, you know, they did some fun stuff about the around the uh, the face mask, but well, I can't tell the difference between this and if they had the same match on Raw, there would be no change. I think I was hoping for something more akin to Seamus' match with, like, Riddle at WrestleMania, because I thought that was a very hard hit match. It was a very, I think it was one of the sleeper matches of night two of WrestleMania. Because, uh, like, Seamus was, like, one of the MVPs in WWE for the first four or five months of the company. But then he got the nose injury and decided, yeah, I don't want to defend this title anymore. So when I throw this open challenge, I'm going to not defend the title. And so they put him in endless matches with Alberto Carrillo, which has really, really been a waste of him. And they finally got Damon Priest away from Miz and Morrison for a week to do something worthwhile. So hopefully this is a good side for Damon Priest as the US champion. Did you, could you get into this match uh, at all? I thought this was the first match on the pay-per-view that actually felt worthy of being on a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, apart from a slightly terrifying moment where Damien Priest went over the top rope and looked like he mm-hmm. landed back first, which was painful looking. Um, this was a slow burn of a match that gradually built up and by the end was a solid barn burner. Um, I was surprised at how convincing Priest was as a babyface in peril. But I'm not surprised at how good of a ring general Seamus is. It was a good, hard-hitting match. Some good near falls. I think that high knee to Priest was very painful-looking. Like, that would not look out of place out of uh, Ilya versus Water. Um, They had relatively good chemistry for and i just i enjoyed the match i was sat there actually actually enjoying it thinking this is really good material and priest got a relatively clean victory but i still think seamus looked good enough that he, he i wouldn't mind a rematch but i would want a rematch where seamus seamus's face is supposedly healed because i want to see these two go to that next stage where they basically just batter the living daylights out of each other um i think it's also a very impressive match by the fact that it actually had um a commentary that actually made me laugh which is where Corey graves said saxon you sound like you spent most of your high school in a locker and saxon just going i can confirm that <laughs> so i mean hopefully we get a, a rematch of this something that all but that feels like i said i did definitely deserve to be on the show just wasn't didn't hit the way I thought it was going to, so maybe we'll get a rematch from this because you know I wouldn't mind seeing a couple more matches of this as opposed to when James was 
battling exclusively Ricochet and Bloody Umberto Carrillo for several weeks. Uh, I'm kind of sad that we couldn't have gotten a rematch between Nakamura and Apollo on the show. Uh, because, you know, Nakamura's title win on SmackDown was really overshadowed by the debut of Rampage. Because, like, nobody was talking about that, like, the next day. Even though SmackDown and the title had happened an hour before Rampage started, nobody was talking about it. And then they just randomly dragged, uh, they brought out Boogs and Nakamura later on in the night to just do an entrance and then fuck off. Just to add some minutes onto what would have been the SmackDown Women's title match, and we'll get to that. So, you know, I would have rather seen Nakamura actually get an entrance in front of the stadium, like people sing along to the theme song as Rick Boogs is playing the guitar, and then put on a good match with Apollo. I thought it was absolute bollocks. Um, in the, n- Not that I dislike um, Rick Boogs or um, Nakamura. I, uh, Rick Boogs is actually relatively good on the, on the guitar, and uh, Nakamura is just cool as hell. Um, but the fact that it was a pointless, like, 10-minute scene where nothing happened apart from Pat McAfee uh, getting to dance along with it. I'm not a Pat fan. I'm going to be honest. I can't stand him. I don't think he's a great commentator. I don't think he's an interesting person. I don't enjoy watching him. So basically having 10 minutes dedicated to Pat McAfee doing self-masturbation about how awesome Rick Booz's guitar is, saying that nobody can hit his note. I'm just sat there thinking, why am I watching this pillock dance? It was completely out of cringe. So... Um, I would love to have seen Nakamura uh, actually wrestle. Would have loved to have seen Rick Boos a little bit more. I don't need any more Pat Mac- McAfee in my life, quite frankly. Uh, so him dancing was not something I look forward to. And unfortunately, there was also several instances of really terrible, awkward moments throughout this damn pay-per-view. Because for one thing, uh, but it this way, when I was making my notes, I didn't call this SummerSlam 2021. I called it sponsored adverts featuring SummerSlam 2021 because all you seemed to get was fucking adverts. I I almost felt sorry for Charlotte Flair when she's having to do a credit one visa advert. I felt a small bit of sympathy. You had the draft days. You had Peacock streaming pretty much every freaking 20 minutes. You had Mario Lopez doing some shilling. I tell you what, this... This was just absolute bollocks of how much shilling can you get doing and one for WWE 2K22, which isn't coming out for a whole bunch of other months. So by the time it actually comes out, probably half the wrestlers on the roster aren't actually going to be on the damn roster, which means they're going to have to change it completely. I'm pretty sure at one point it didn't look like it was Kane choke slamming Shelton Benjamin. It looked like he was choke slamming Stevie Ray from Harlem Heat because they're only able to get legends on there because there's nobody else left on the fucking roster. I mean, I'm, surp- I'm surprised Shelton's still on the roster, to be honest, we had to the recent hit, and given how little they've, they've done well since they kicked him into Drake, you know, the hurt business. And I think part of the reason it's delayed to 22 may be to do with how the game looks, or maybe it's just to do with the fact that, yeah, probably half the people that were going to be in it have just been let go. Because I remember there was a period in, like, NXT in, like, 2017, 2018, when they were bringing more and more people in, where certain people couldn't be in the game because they'd signed and made their debut on NXT past the cut-off point. Uh, so maybe that's partly to do with it. Yeah, I definitely agree. And there was a big advert randomly between the two world title matches in the ring, which I didn't really need to happen. But I'll, I'm going to excuse this match because I thought I'd have a lot more to say about it than I do. It was a great match. You know, it's got got creepy line with the Usos and the Mysterios and everything. Two of the best, like, tatties on the main roster and, a, you know, on both brands, you know, mid-tight. Main roster tag wrestling isn't taken very seriously as it should be. 
but I didn't. There was nothing about it other than the fact that it was slightly more clean than the the minor bank finish. They do the whole you know pushing against the ropes thing uh, to help as they did at minor bank. Actually, I could I can't tell you that much about this that sets us apart from the minor bank match. This is basically very much a similar style match. They put on another good match, but at least with the minor bank, when I can talk about oh controversy about Jimmy Uso or sorry, Jimmy Uso. I know they won by nefarious means, but sets up a rematch. I can't tell you anything from this match other than at one point it looked like Ray was going to win, but then uh, Jimmy got the knees up. It it it's weird because before the match, I actually put in my notes this could be a sleeper hit for the night, and in actuality, it was just okay. I like the Usos are rarely going to let you down. It was a solid match from them, but it felt very uninspired to some degrees. It was a match that happened. You probably wouldn't think it was out of place on a random episode of War Smackdown. Um, the story being hinted at beforehand with Dominic becoming too confident, I don't think really had as much impact as they made it out to be. And it just, just basically, it was a, it was a match that happened, and that was it. The most interesting thing from it was Michael Cole saying that Dominic considered Eddie Guerrero to be as close as an uncle. So uh, a bit more rewriting of history from WWE as we normally get, but um, you, you could have, you could have removed this match from the entire pay-per-view and I don't think you would have missed anything. And to say, because like a good, uh, it's just okay. Uh, as this was, it's great when you're watching the show, you know, it's nothing bad uh, from it when you're just watching it, but we, we, we have to talk about it. There's nothing to say about it. There's nothing really to say in regards to you know stuff that happened. You know they've been teasing these the, through the segments between uh, Dominic and Ray last week. They've been teasing that they're going to break up at some point, and uh, that maybe Dom, a lot of people thought Dominic would turn. If they'd done that, then maybe I'd have more to talk about. But they chose not to do that. Maybe they're saving it for down the line or whatever, uh, or maybe they'll never do it. But I, I'd, I'd like to see them like do that because. As a team, they've done all they can do. Now it's time to see what Dominic does on his own. And if they do do a, like, a feud with him being the heel and Ray being the face, uh, I just love for one point, you know, Ray say, Dominic, why are you doing this? I'm your dad. And just let me keep kayfabe and just have Dominic just yelling, no, you're not. Eddie Guerrero was my father. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them to do it. Um, I kind of would love to just have it that they just separate no fallout, no arguments, just Ray and Dominic going, right, we've worked together, we've done well, but this is the this is the moment you need to go on and do your own thing and just see what happens. See how Dominic does. Um I think to some degrees it'll be interesting to maybe send him down to NXT where he could battle for the Cruiserweight Championship. Maybe. Yeah, I I'd like to see that. No. This is the thing I think a lot of people wouldn't with when they hear a stuff song they want people to talk about. Because apparently WWE knew Sasha wasn't gonna be at a SummerSlam at least a week in advance. They still played the video package, didn't they? If they did. Uh, then they had Bianca come out, they said Sasha Banks cannot be here. And so uh, and so CO face the crowd all go Carmela and be like, huh. And they really milked Carmela's entrance. They milked quite a few people's entrances on this night. But Carmella's especially, so they made you think something's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, now we're all 
I was sitting there with the people I was with and like the pop in the living room where I was watching it was almost as loud as the pop they got here when Becky Lynch's music hit and you know everybody went mad because I think if you're going to have a surprise opponent the only person you could really think of probably would be Becky who then basically gets Carmella to fuck and so they can have Becky versus Bianca we're all excited to see it happen and then Bianca I'll put it nicely gets a slightly longer version of the Eric Rowan treatment at WrestleMania 32 where bell rings, gets hit with a version of a rock bottom and pinned in 27 seconds and we have Becky Lynch as the new Smackdown Women's Champion. A lot to unpack here through the circumstances around Sasha not being there and the how they pulled it off and kind of low down on the priorities I think is that why is Becky even on Smackdown? Why is she winning the Smackdown title? Like surely Raw is where you need her because Raw especially went to shit when uh, she left, because Asuka, despite Asuka being the champion, they did nothing with her after the feud with the golden role models, the Sasha Bailey stuff, and then Sasha Carmella, Sasha Bianca helped carry SmackDown's women's division, but Raw's women's division has fucking suffered. So why is Becky not over there? I'm sure it won't surprise you to hear that I have a lot of thoughts about this match. I'm just going to put my feet up here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to start off with what may be a bit of a hot take. Um, I feel this match encompasses everything wrong with WWE. And the reason for that is that you, first of all, you have it that they've supposedly known for at least a week that Sasha Banks isn't going to be able to appear. So WWE lie there's no other word for it they lie to the fans making out that the match is still actually going to happen they're still doing the promos they're still telling you oh call up and buy the pay-per-view so you can see sasha banks versus bianca Belair all the way up into the match they're still releasing about it making out that it's going to happen at the same time as you've already got journalists on twitter talking about the fact that they were told just that morning that Sasha Banks wasn't going to be able to perform. So, first of all, you've got a blatant bait and switch where they wait until the match itself to announce that Sasha wouldn't feature. They then have it, they unveil Carmella, who I feel sorry for because the crowd are shitting all over it, which quite frankly makes sense considering that Bianca just beat Carmella on SmackDown literally the previous night. Okay. So you then have it that Becky Lynch gets unveiled. Huge pop. Absolutely huge pop. Completely deserved because Becky Lynch was awesome up until she had to uh, leave um, because she was the biggest star. Uh, without, without question. She was absolutely huge and she was awesome. But you've now shot your load with the biggest return you could possibly have in Becky Lynch for this. And then, so you've already got it, that Becky Lynch is coming back straight to a title match without having earned it. Now, that in itself is the sort of nepotism that if Charlotte Flair did it, and I'm not Charlotte Flair's biggest fan, so this says how bad it is, you'd be cursing it the fuck out. So Becky Lynch returns, comes straight back to a title match that she hasn't earned, she doesn't deserve, because it's on a separate brand to what she was originally on. She beats the crap out of Carmella, 
And then she's like, oh, what do you say the man and the EST have a match? Okay. All right. We can go with this. I don't think that Becky deserves to have a match straight away for the title. She hasn't earned it, but it's a big moment. The treatment of Bianca Belair is fucking abysmal. It is insulting. It is Brock Lesnar and Kofi Kingston S to some degrees and how disrespectful you can be to your talents. What you've basically done is that you have completely sacrificed someone who's put in all the effort and work for a quick return. I don't think there's really that much difference between Goldberg beating Kevin Owens or um, fucking having it that, um, well, to be fair, Goldberg also beating The Fiend or having it that Brock Lesnar defeats Kofi Kingston in nine seconds or any of that shit. You know, um, it's... They don't deserve to have that happen to them. Bianca has done tremendous work since WrestleMania and they have shat all over her. And you're somehow able to take what should be this huge, big celebratory moment of Becky Lynch returning and you book it so badly that by the time it's done, the fans would rather she had not come back because all she's done is been given hot shotted into a title that she doesn't deserve going over someone who doesn't deserve to be treated like that. It is a shit sandwich of basically lying to your audience, tricking them, wasting a big pop and treating your current talent like shit. And I think it's especially insulting I know that Rian and I uh, early on kept on going back to AEW and we were trying to avoid doing that, but I cannot think of a better example when you have it that the expectation all the way up to AEW Rampage was talk about either CM Punk's not going to appear or someone's going to come out to his music as the biggest hero in the world. I thought MJF would do that sort of thing because WWE has taught you that you are going to be punished for being invested. WWE is an abusive husband pretty much beating you down anytime you have any form of hope. And yet on that Friday night, you had a pure moment where instead of lying, instead of tricking, instead of swerving, AEW just rewarded its fans for having hope and believing in them and had CM Punk just come out and talk and connect with the audience. It was honest. And yet in the same opportunity for WWE to do something, they do everything else. They lie to you. They trick you. They upset you. They waste you. And they bury a character. And people are going to keep on coming around and saying, give it a chance. See how the story plays out. I have watched WWE for 21 years and they have lost any right to me giving them an opportunity to prove it's worthwhile because all they do is let down. They disappoint and they hurt you for being infested. And that is the major difference that this match represents when it comes to WWE versus AEW. With AEW, it rewards you for being invested 
WWE punishes you for giving a shit. And this match, I legitimately feel, ruined the rest of the night. It tainted it. And it was a huge, big booking mistake. And I just feel that I'm not even surprised that to cap on top of it, straight afterwards, you had an advert for Crown Jewel. If you could have 10 minutes that encompasses everything that WWE is about, watch this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, while you get your breath back, I'm glad that people are annoyed about this because they should be. Because I remember I was on this very podcast after Mania 36 asking the question, why uh, people annoyed about Charlotte being Rhea but not similarly annoyed about Becky beating Shayna? Why is it okay that Becky won but sh- and not okay that Charlotte did? Why are you not equally annoyed at both of these? Because on those two nights you could have t- built two big stars in Rhea and Shayna and you didn't. So, you know, don't you know, give Becky a pass just because you like her. And so, it's rightfully so they shouldn't, people should not be, well, saying this is good because it's Becky. Because this is bullshit. Bianca, through everything that they've thrown at her during her title reign, has continued to be over, as you said, and yet got beat. Like, even, it wasn't even a roll up, she got just pinned after a shit version of a roll bomb, which they called the manhandle slam or whatever they called it. As if it's an actual thing she does. She doesn't. That's never been one of her moves. So trying to make that a thing. It's like fetch and mean girls. It's never going to be a thing. It's not happening. So uh, at the minute on SmackDown, you, like I said, you don't need Becky Lynch right now. You've got Sasha, maybe. Uh, you've got Bianca. You'll have Bailey when she comes back. At the minute, Bianca and like so Liv Morgan. Those are the people you should be building up for the SmackDown Women's Division. Because Liv should have won the money in the bank. I still stand by that. You heard the reaction. She should have won it. And we'll I agree. We, I agree. And when we get to the triple threat match, you'll see that they really really paid off with who they actually went for for the fucking money in the bank, didn't it? Because Liv, I, I maintain, Liv Morgan should win Queen of the Ring. Liv Morgan wins King the, Queen of the Ring by beating Charlotte in the final. Whoever wins Queen of the Ring beats Charlotte in the final somehow. Or at least beats Charlotte at some point afterwards because that's how you get somebody over. Uh, like, after everything they've done with Bianca, do they have this happen? Because Bianca's a face as well. So that hurts even more. If she was a heel who'd been dominating since me and then had this happen to her, fair enough. But Becky's a face for now. The rumours that she's going to be turned heel. I don't know how you're going to do that. Because you've already got Sasha when she comes back as a heel. You'll have Bailey potentially being a heel. I don't know if fans will want to cheer her when she comes back as a face. So you don't need to see how that goes. It's just all so confusing what the hell they were thinking here. Like, they wanted a return, and but then handled in the worst way. You could even had it go maybe five minutes, and then had this shocking roll up, and then like lead into the rematch eventually down the line. Because I think that would have gotten helped you get away with it and without as much annoyance here. Because people thought, well, at least there was a bit of a back and forth, and then Becky won. Because I know, and the way she just inserted herself, we've learned through John Cena's big magical blue pen that contracts mean fuck it all in WWE the last couple of months. So there's all that. But then uh, we also you, have that Sasha. Just, sorry, sorry, just to throw in, you could have literally had it that Becky Lynch comes out, says, I'm going to join this, make it a freeway, and then after five minutes, Becky Lynch gets the pinfall or the submission victory over Carmella, who can take the loss. And then you can spend the next month or two building up to a big match between Becky Lynch 
and Bianca rather than shooting your load so quickly. And that is one of the most frustrating aspects. The fact that they just jump straight to Zed instead of doing a build up from A to B to C to D to E. But please continue. I do apologize for interrupting. Yeah, I was just going to move on to Sasha as allegedly the whole reason she's not there is that her and Bianca missed some live events. They're thought that they were they were in contact with somebody who had COVID. This is all from an innuendo. Uh, they were in contact with somebody who but apparently Bianca is fully vaccinated, so she didn't have to isolate for as long, which is why she was on SmackDown. But Sasha is allegedly an anti-vaxxer, and so is not vaccinated, and so is isolating right now. And also, you've seen there are quite a lot of people with masks on them, apparently some of the venues, like um, venues in New York especially, are apparently hammering down on saying, like, you need either proof of vaccination or a mask is mandatory if you want to come to these arenas, which, which is what they should be doing more of in America and just anywhere right now. And so the fact that, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not a fan of Sasha, you know, I'm less a fan of, I'm more, I'm less against the people who fucking support Sasha half the time because they can, the definition of a fucking stand sometimes. And yeah, I'm sure some of them are going to defend this little about her not being there because if Sasha could just get fucking vaccinated, we wouldn't have had to have this. So basically, if she wasn't being a selfish prick, we could have actually just gotten the match we were supposed to. Yeah, because I had I thought Sasha was going to win. I reckon there's some. I reckon you've got a good shout though. I reckon she could have. She could have won in order to get the title back, and then had the blow off. Me. If they could extend it to Survivor Series, but most likely they would have done it at Extreme Wars and had like a big match between the two of them. And knowing Sasha, she'll probably have to drop it straight afterwards because she's not allowed to hold the title for longer than uh, 38 days if, if uh, Charlotte Flair is in the nearby vicinity. So it's just, I, I feel this is one of those where every wrong decision they could have made, they did. Mm-hmm. And I keep looking ahead to Survivor Series. I go into who's in the main title pictures because they'll probably do the champion champion, champion thing. If this is them trying to build to Charlotte versus Becky again, I'm not as interested as I may have been a couple of years ago. I've seen that match a thousand times. I fucking hate Survivor Series now. I hate it. I can't stand it. This brand supremacy bullshit. Nobody cares. Nobody gives a shit. The only people who give a shit is WWE. And every time, what you basically do is you put your ongoing storylines on hold for two months so that you can force and just force this brand supremacy crap that has no legitimacy to it whatsoever. It's like, oh, suddenly I represent SmackDown and I'm really proud of it. Really? Because six weeks ago you were on fucking war, mate. Alright, so don't give me that bullshit. And then you have these champions versus champions. You pretty much either have it one of two ways. Either ends up going to a 4 free victory for whichever brand is in the good books at the time, or you end up with a 6-0 fucking loss. 
um, all you, all that's going to happen is that because SmackDown's now the one they're making the most money out of, surely they're going to have to put SmackDown over. So you're probably just going to end up with having it that War loses every single match. So they're probably going to have to have Lashley lose the title before they actually get to that uh, Survivor Series because you don't want to bu- uh, blow your load on having Lashley versus Roman Reigns because we know Roman Reigns isn't going to lose the fucking title, at least not until at least WrestleMania when he probably faces The Rock. So you basically have to change around all these actual storylines going over. There's a reason why you had AJ Styles lose to Daniel Bryan several years ago so that he could actually have the WWE title because they didn't want to do AJ Styles versus Brock Lesnar for the second year in a row. And it is basically putting yourself in a fucking corner because you create these these bullshit ideas that nobody gives a fuck about. The other things people don't give a fuck about, the Raw Women's take on that is legit. This, I felt the same about this as I did with Lily versus Alexa Bliss going into this. Or you had uh, Not So Mighty Molly uh, defending against Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley. And I don't care. Uh, I thought the main thing you had to, even though I didn't want to, I had Nikki winning this because I thought, I mean, there's no way Rhea's win it back. If Nikki's going to lose, it's going to be a singles match. Nope. Tapped out to the figure eight. Really set the tone. Really did. Really dropped it with the women's stuff on this show, particularly. I think uh, Charlotte wins again. It should be her fifteenth reign overall of anyone's tale, but no, it's her twelfth according to me because the NXT and the tag belts don't count apparently. I know that Nikki is supposed to be an inspirational story, and it's one to get the fans behind her. But I think it's an awful storyline. I think it makes her look like an idiot. The fans aren't behind it. They hate it. I can't stand Charlotte Flair matches because it just feels like I'm waiting for the inevitable where she wins again. So I have I come into this triple threat match where the only person that I actually care about is the one who's least likely to win in Rhea Ripley. So you have it that you have a crowd who was unimpressed by Nikki. The crowd you have it that the crowd supposedly bored by Charlotte Flair. And a crowd that don't bother getting invested in Rhea Ripley because, again, they get punished for doing so. I had it at one point. I rode my eyes when Charlotte reversed a double suplex into a double TDT because I was thinking to myself, of course Charlotte is able to be big enough that she can beat up both women at the same time. This match was actually, I felt, quite sloppy. And slightly dangerous. There was the moment where Charlotte back body dropped Rhea out of the ring. And she landed on her feet. And I actually thought she was about to break a freaking ankle. And then you have it straight afterwards. The corkscrew moonsault from Charlotte. She looked like she was either about to smash her knee off of the guardrail. Or crush Nikki's head against it. And that was in the space of a couple of a couple of seconds. And I was dying to get legitimately worried. Whether any of them were going to come out of this without a freaking injury. The moment that Rhea starts limping after that back body drop, you're just instantly like, oh, that must mean she's going to tap out to the inevitable figure eight. Oh, no, it turns out it's Nikki that's going to tap out to Charlotte with the figure eight. But obviously I had the winner right because God forbid you go longer than two, three months without Charlotte having some form of a title. But this is the reason why this match is so bad for me is because I have those dreaded horrendous seven words where afterwards I go I just can't bring myself to care mm-hmm. right. I think this just exposed more how little thought was really put into the Nikki thing like oh they want her as a character to be inspiration no pocket children all that stuff but clearly didn't have 
thoughts about her as a, a champion because they had her win the Money in the Bank. First Raw in front of a crowd, you thought, ah, big pop, you know, get people talking, she'll cash in, you know, unexpectedly, people will love it. And then the next big opportunity, you know, she's really, she got some, she took quite a few clean losses in the lead up to this. Had Charlotte basically talked down to her and then comes in the show, taps out cleanly to Charlotte on the pay-per-view. Like, it just shows how little thought was put into how wasted Nikki's entire Mind the Bank win was. And her title reign will be easily forgotten, I think, by the end of the year. I mean, and I'm just looking at it like, this is so simple between Charlotte and Rhea. Yes, fine, have Charlotte win initially, but eventually Rhea must win. But you keep throwing in DQs, throwing in Io Shirai, Asuka, Nikki. It's, it's so simple. Just have, book, have Charlotte win at Money in the Bank, Rhea wins it back at SummerSlam. And in front of a stadium, defend a clean win over Charlotte. She should have gotten already by this point. It's so fucking simple. But you keep throwing other shit in the way. But now I don't care if Rhea wins the wins the title back from, from Charlotte. I just don't care. Because Rhea, Rhea is, with every passing month, every passing behavior, Rhea feels less and less important. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that because I agree 100%. So things looked up because this is a match I was looking forward to. It was a match I really enjoyed. Edge versus Seth Rollins. Uh, Scott, you do realise you've actually skipped a match entirely, don't you? Did I? Yeah. Between the women's matches was Jinder Mahal versus Drew McIntyre. Ah. Now, that's not me... That's not me saying that I love the match so much I want to go back to it. I just know that someone's going to comment saying uh, you missed Jinder Mahal versus Drew McIntyre. And to be fair, anybody who went to the toilet or boiled a kettle probably missed the fucking match as well. Because um, considering that was the first match they had after the horse shit with Becky Lynch and fucking Bianca, if I was going to choose any match to get me back on side after that bollocks, this would have been about the middle of the list. It's basically a comprehensive victory for McIntyre, although the only worry is, is that afterwards, he has a slightly heelish action where he's telling the referee to raise his arm. But really, I'm just mentioning it because someone's going to say that we missed it out, but I don't think we missed anything not discussing it because it was not a pay-per-view match at all. No, they wanted Drew on the card. Drew won, as he should have. Bye-bye, gender. Fuck off. Why is Drew still making us all about his sword? Like, why is it not about 3MB or the fact that they're both champion, they're both WWE champion? Why is it all about the sword? I, I don't get it. I mean, Drew, I mean, Jinder had that motorbike a few weeks ago and he could even ride it down the, the ramp, the main 19 ramp like the bloody Undertaker did back in the day. Just so Drew could just destroy the bike. I don't know. Don't care. Uh, Drew, hopefully after Bobby loses the title, Drew will be back in the title picture. And we can all move on with our lives. But as I was saying, Edge v. Seth. Not necessarily, because Drew's going to have to have it. He cannot challenge for the championship while Lashley is still champion. So I reckon it could easily be until the Royal Rumble before he can actually challenge for it again. Unless, with the Survivor Series bullshit, they decide to get rid of Bobby Lashley. In which case, I'm sure they'll probably have it. They completely forget the stipulation that Drew McIntyre can't challenge for it and just have him suddenly go for it. I'm worried Drew's going to win King of the Ring. I don't want Drew to win King of the Ring because they already have him, they already have him with the sword and the kilt. Now they're going to add the crown and the cape to the ensemble and they're just going to make him full-on 
last King of Scotland pish. William Wallace, full on every fucking week. I just don't understand why they need to have him win the King of the Rain because he he's too high for it. He doesn't actually need it. It's not it's not like when say you had it that um Bret Hart would win the King of the Ring for the first time out of being champion three times or something like that. You're, it should be the equivalent of if who of whoever wins the King of the Ring it should be someone who actually needs it, a Kurt Angle, an edge. Someone who can actually develop and get better with it, not someone who doesn't need it because they're already high up on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. As I was saying, Edge be safe. I've really enjoyed this feud the last few weeks. Uh, I didn't really understand why they were comparing the two and having the Edge called Seth Edge Light. But then Edge said that the video package pointing out, huh, we both came in as part of factions, both have noteworthy, you know, money in the bank cash-ins, all that. Like, huh, they are actually very similar. And then you had the old, the black, you know, liquid coming down the bloodbath on Seth with the big white suit. I really enjoyed that. Then Edge coming in with the brood style entrance, which then transitioned into Alter Bridge. If you like, mixed all these theme songs, if you could throw in some Rob Zombie in there, just do the different stages of Edge, I would have been, I would have been also very happy. And oh, I really, I really enjoyed this match. You had Edge pulling at the Glam Slam at one point. Uh, one point. Uh, Seth didn't pull out the disarmor because uh, I don't think people want to be reminded of Becky at this stage in the show. Mm. Uh, and Edge actually won by submission, which I was surprised at. But, you know, Edge needed a definitive win after the last few months of losing the Universal title matches. I also love the very Hulk-Loki-esque way it led to the finish where he had him in a joke step was fighting and Edge just grabs his head and just slams him repeatedly. I am the man day, I am Messiah. You need Messiah. I was probably looking forward to this match more than any of them because... I was thinking beforehand, if this match gets the right amount of time and attention it deserves, we might see a minor classic. And the the atmosphere beforehand with the brood music, the circle of fire, and then the classic music, um, I was already completely into it. And I was like, wait, now we just need the match to back it up. And I think Rian's quite right to some degrees in that um, Edge seems to get wrestling similar to christian does in that they they tell stories when they're actually going through it so in this one obviously edge is mostly in control because he's angry and that sort of thing but as soon as rollin starts going for the surgery repair net from then on you have edge trying to get desperate and having and struggling to try and get through and one of my favorite moments was that when they were fighting on the apron i remember thinking to myself oh it would be so awesome if Edge hit the spear through the ropes, and then seconds later he did, and I was just like, "Why? Well, I'm fucking in. I love this. This is brilliant." And this was probably, I'd say, I'm going to say this was the best match on the card for me, in that I think it was not only the best story um, during the match, it had a tremendous build up for it, and it was just really entertaining, and it didn't outstay its weapon. Uh, outstay its welcome. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think Seth is. I think, given they mentioned what everything Seth's accomplished in his career, Seth isn't going to be harmed from losing here. Edge does need some wins, otherwise, when he comes back, it's allowed to put other people over. You know, consistent losses are eventually going to, like, if he loses everything, comes back, the rub that somebody gets from beating him is diminished. 
like it's kind of what they did with Dolph, where Dolph was the, 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 often the first guy a new call-up would get. Uh, also because he lost so much, it didn't mean so much. So Edge does need a few wins over people who can take a loss. And Seth is definitely ideal here, because Seth will be back on TV the next week and have somebody else he can feed with and you know within a space one promo, Seth can get you back and invest in whatever he's doing. Yeah, that's the thing. I think um, Seth Rollins has this fantastic Teflon ability to him in that, similar to AJ Styles uh, to, some, um, to some degrees, is that both of them can lose. And yet, if they were in the title scene the next week, you could probably go with it because they have this innate ability to bounce back from it without being damaged. And when they lose, it matters. Um, I do agree that Edge needs to start having victories to some degrees in order to make it worthwhile for when he does lose. And the fact that Edge had to go to such extreme efforts, especially that fantastic <laughs> slamming into the into the mat, I thought that was inspired. I got flashbacks of uh, Brock Lesnar doing that with AJ, with the back of AJ Styles' head at Survivor Series. And I was like, yeah, I love that. And for me, that was the match of the night. Um, not only so far, but by the end of the night, I would say that was definitely the match of the night. Mm-hmm. So um, I wonder what happens with Edge here, if they continue the thing with Rollins, or if they just have Edge go away for a while, maybe go into a new feud. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, well, yeah, I need to make sure I don't miss another match and somebody complains. Nope, we've only got two matches left. I was surprised they left the two world team matches to the end. I thought they would have put something between these mm. two, but yeah, lastly, defeating Goldberg via referee stoppage, which that was an interesting way to go with things, uh, especially given he went for the leg, and it just made very little sense to me uh, the way they went. They did this. They didn't. I just thought, okay, just give us some spears. Boom, boom, boom. Hurt lock. Bugger off. No, but no, they went kind of a. It was weirdly the seven minutes, probably one of the longest matches Goldberg's ever had in his career. So, probably explains the quality of it. And then they have him just beat down Goldberg with a chair. Uh, his son just leaps on it, Lashley's back, and he just throws him off, hits him, locks in the heart lock, and just basically ragdolls a 15 year old boy. Uh, and go while Gobar lies there, Hobble like no, uh, and MVP then tries to cover like he didn't know that was Lashley's kid, and you know uh, I think Bobby should go on to better things and Gobar should go away. Uh, I know he's only booked for two matches a year, but there's a small part of me that thinks that that maybe they do something inside the Arabia. Fucking, you know, weird matches happen there. MVP and Lashley versus uh, I don't know Goldberg and his kid. Uh, who knows? They had Nicholas win the tag team titles at one point, so anything can happen in the WWE. Yeah. Now that you're, now that he's gone, let's just say, I mean, he just goes on and on and on, as if I don't have enough to work with to the editing and all that. He just goes on and on with your tour plus podcasts. And, you know, I'm up to all hours of the morning, late nights, editing this shit, having to condense down his fucking rants and all sorts. Yeah, and that's why Sam is definitely the greatest co-host I've ever had. Uh, uh, hello there. I can't wait to listen back to this one now. Uh, I have to say, um, my um, I was also surprised, similar to you, that they decided to keep the two championship matches for the la- for the ending. Um, 
And even in retrospect, knowing the results, I still don't understand why they say to, they decided to make that decision. I just feel like they, you, this is where you'd expect even really versus um, uh, Alexa Bliss to have been so that they can have a pee break beforehand. Um, but um, instead, it, well, it was, it was not a good match, was it? It wasn't. No, I mean, they kept it short and just like span the finisher back, kind of like what they did when they had the match with Drew. That would have been fine. And they would have known, would have known what to expect. You know, the fact that the, the best thing about the full thing was just the way that Lashley's kid just got murdered by Lashley. And well deserved because, you know, when Goldberg, I mean, the minute Goldberg said, I came back for you, I was like, boo. <laughs> and, his, and his name's fucking Gage. Gage. Gage Goldberg. You know, it's just like it's just like you're waiting for him to be picked on. Um, see, beforehand, I was relatively excited because it seemed like they revealed they revealed the fact that there was going to be Money in the Bank 2022 soon. Um, they yeah, had the and advert, that, and, and yeah, they announced it was going to be in that same venue, Fourth of July weekend. Yeah, so you're thinking to yourself, wow, is this going to be a hint that we're going to have um, Big E coming and cashing afterwards? Um, no. Turns out, didn't matter whatsoever. Um, the only thing I was thinking beforehand, what was most vital was that Goldberg couldn't win, as it would just damage Lashley. Turns out, I was wrong. WWE still found a way to damage um, Lashley, even whilst winning. Because, I mean, when Goldberg's coming out, he looks so old. I mean, I, he's well conditioned. Um, don't get me wrong; he probably can bench press me, uh, quite frankly. But he's stiff, he's awkward. There's no pyro, which makes it look even weirder. And the crowd just looks so underwhelmed. And the worst thing is, is that I think he's dangerous in the ring because you had it that the spear on the outside Lashley bounced and it looked like his head almost hit the ring post. Now that was worrying enough. And then you had it, he's throwing Lashley off of the top rope and Lashley looked like he was about to hit land on his head again. And this is where it started getting really worrying that not only could they have Lashley end up getting quite injured because Goldberg's unsafe, but they're trying to have Goldberg do an actual match. Um, which amazingly the crowd was not having was booing Goldberg like mad and cheering on Bob Lash, Bobby Lashley. But you somehow had a non ending that made both men look shit. Goldberg only loses due to injury, but Lashley didn't actually properly win. So neither of them come out of it looking any better. Yeah. So I'm just happy Goldberg's away. I really enjoyed well, Lashley as WWE champion. I'm glad that he didn't lose immediately back to Drew. Uh, and you know, I look forward to see if it why eventually happens if Biggie does cash in. Uh, but when we get to the main event, uh, I was worried because it was already what you know, close to five in the morning when this came on, and you know, Roman matches can be a bit slow, and it was. I mean, I I, admit, I missed the first five or so minutes. I was in the toilet, but what I did see of this match, the rest of it, I did enjoy. You know, the Cena thing, like, it's weird how they got this one, two, three thing over. Uh, I say over. They Clearly, these fans that they've been going to miss John Cena a lot more than we realise because they've been so keen to join back in with it. 
uh, I like the kind of some some of the back and forth. I didn't get the whole oh you're so protected and everything like John. Do you, have you seen your career? Like <laughs> why are you why? And plus you gave these same arguments in 2017, and Roman beat you then as well. I don't mm. get that. I mean I like the whole mention of Nikki Bella and uh, saying oh maybe I'll hold the bargain and give you a kiss when I leave, and everything like that. It's although. I mean, as soon as Roman said that, uh, I thought Cena would win until Roman said, "Oh, I'll leave WWE." Fellows, like, well, Roman's winning, uh, and then they had the match. I mean, I kind of bet every so often. Uh, the, the time I bet most was when they did the the Avalanche AA spot. Mm. Uh, I was still annoyed after all these years. John still can't get the FTF properly like, doing the weird cross arm. Like he's just hugging around his ear. Like that's not the FTF. You're just He's just lying on top of them now. Uh, and then eventually, uh, Roman, I thought he would have just like tapped them out, like do like I just had to hang in there, and these would have done like the guillotine, and Cena hangs in there, hangs in there, and then he's passed out. But no, Roman just beat him after the spear. One, two, three. Roman wins. And then out comes who people described as the newest member of the Viking Raiders. Uh, Brock Lesnar comes out. They a massive pot. Uh, with his long, weird ponytail. Uh, I'm excited for Roman Brock. I know some people might not be, but I'm excited because the match of May 31 is better than people remember. It kind of got shit on in their matches during 2018 because no one cared about Roman at that point. But this version of Roman and the way Heyman sold Lesnar coming out, like somebody who just got caught cheating on their partner and their partner came home early. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens here. Will they do Extreme Rules? Will they save it for Saudi Survivor Series? I don't know. Because you know, there's all talk that Rock might be the Rock might be at Summer at Survivor Series. Uh, also, apparently, Brock had Cena after SummerSlam went off the air. So you know, thanks for coming, John. We back to your movie. Yeet. Turns out old habits uh, do die hard uh, when um, Lesnar sees Cena. And F5 Cena, that's the way he does life, basically. Um, I also noticed the fact that it was 5 o'clock by the time we got to this match. Because before the pay-per-view, I was interested in the match. By the time we got to the match, I felt worn down and tired of the pay-per-view. Now, I had actually had an energy drink by this point, because I was planning to stay up through Sunday and try and get a load of writing done. Um, By the time that the pay-per-view ended, I was so depressed, I went straight to bed. Um, even despite the energy drink um i love the start of this match cena putting over how he only needs a free count free count to win so he's getting these roll-ups these inside cradles he's getting one counts two counts etc and it really puts over that cena understands that he's rusty that he hasn't been wrestling for a long time so therefore He's just going to have it that similar to Muhammad Ali on the ropes. He's going to take the punishment. He's going to look to get what he needs. And I liked that aspect of that story because it almost like it humanized and weakened John Cena to a point that and weakened in a good way. It made him vulnerable. That's what I mean. Sorry, not weakened, vulnerable. Um, And Roman is so damn good at these slow matches. I know obviously like at the end of a five hour pay-per-view is the last thing you need, but he is so damn good at it because he makes every moment matter. There's no wasted energy. There's no wasted moments and it makes it important. And 
I thought the near fall after the AA through the announced table was excellent. And then it was even better when you did the Avalanche AA. And I think that that was the moment where the fans were starting to get loads in thinking maybe John will win, especially as he just came out with a T-shirt. Uh, with all the titles on the back, it seemed primed for him to become champion. And I was surprised actually to realize how long Roman had been champion for 356 days. Um, and I still feel he could have it for like at least until WrestleMania and it wouldn't be boring because the material he's doing at the moment is career highlight stuff. He's doing fantastic work. Um, I do wish they had similar to you. They hadn't included the stipulation that if Roman loses, he leaves the WWE because that removes any possibility of believing that Cena was actually going to win. Because why would you get rid of Roman when he's doing the best work possible? It would be a complete and utter fuck up if you got rid of Roman. So you knew he wasn't going to lose. And that was the only thing that took away from that. Um, I was a little bit surprised that Cena didn't kick out of at least one spear, but overall it was a cracking match, a really good choice for the main event. And one of the few highlights on a night that's been more disappointing than anything. I will say that I had the opposite reaction to you when it came to Brock Lesnar. I was just like, because I loved Brock Lesnar in 2004 to 2004, uh, uh, 2002, 2004. I thought he was such a breath of fresh air. He was one of the best wrestlers in the company. He was bringing out bangers every single, uh, every other week, it seems. He was such a tremendous talent. But since he's come back and he does this generic um, suplex city bollocks, and holds the title for 500 days while defending it like three times. I just, I get bored. I'm bored of Brock Lesnar. WWE has made me bored of Brock Lesnar because it's not a big deal when he shows up. It's just a case of, because oh, I just don't want him involved with the title scene because I just feel he detracts from it. So I would be more interested in a Brock Lesnar face turn if he was actually wrestling like he did in 2003, 2004, if he was able to put on these classics like he did with Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle, even Big Show, where he actually put his working boots on. But I don't think that's going to happen. And because of that, I'm not looking forward to watching his matches. And it just feels like with WWE, uh, it's a case of the more things change, the more they stay the same. You have Brock Lesnar in the main event. You have John Cena in the main event. Uh, you have Becky Lynch as champion. You have Charlotte as champion. You have Randy Orton still around. It, it's like I enjoy some of these, but it feels like nothing ever changes. Nothing ever moves on. It's always the same shit. And by the end of this pay-per-view, I just was so miserable. Uh, those I I I hadn't enjoyed the majority of it, and I just felt like I was punished for watching it. And uh, I'm just I'm I, I feel like I'm nearing the point where I'm tired of WWE, and that's quite worrying for me as a wrestling fan because 
when you watch Edge versus Rollins, when you watch Cena versus Reigns, or even Sheamus versus Damian Priest, or you watch anything from NXT TakeOver 36, you feel like there's some really good material, but <sighs> that's like finding like one or two brief bits of nugget in a field of shit. And I'm losing the will to live with WWE and SummerSlam and TakeOver combined feel like a real death note on love for wrestling because you had the best of takeover that basically is probably the last time you're ever going to see something like that and you had the worst qualities of wwe in SummerSlam, and it just it's just depressing well, on that note, Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Jesus sounds like it goes slightly dressed and everything. Jesus, the way he made that sound. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't like the show. Yeah, uh, I, I obviously I decided to go poet laureate with it and really lay down the emotion. Um, so. Fucking, I'll change my mind again about the outro. Fucking, it's going to be at this rate. Hello, darkness, my old friend, the way it sounds, making everything seem so bleak. Oh, that is. I don't know about that because I actually like Hello Darkness, my old friend, especially if it's the disturbed version. Um, but just there's too many negatives that occurred on this night with SummerSlam to truly appreciate the positives because it's always going to weigh it down. You saw a lot of the worst of WWE um, during this pay-per-view and the positives feel like the rarity and watching wwe with when you continuously have to have people say watch it watch it watch it watch how the story develops watch what happens and i can only be battered so many times by wwe before i start going no i'm not gonna put myself through that pain of having to watch and get my hopes up and have it dashed and be disappointed yet again so if you'd like to wrap up in a positive manner good luck to you yeah that was takeover and, and SummerSlam uh, on that up in a neat little package uh, little not being the accurate word and so let us know what you think of what you thought of SummerSlam and takeover could you get as invested after what happened on Rampage uh, if you want to hear more talk about what happened on Rampage and stuff do with AEW, we're offline some AEW related content uh, very soon here. I'm sure Sam Moon will be delighted and well, we will never want those podcasts to end when we eventually get around to them. <laughs> uh, you can find me and Sam on the Rogue Retro Smackdown where you can follow Rogue Opinions at Rogue underscore Opinions. Uh, talk, we've talked about Kang in the Ring once or twice. Uh, you can find uh, now under the Rogue Opinions banner, starting with our most recent ep- uh, starting with the most recent episode that went up, uh, Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast, and we just did a review of King of the Ring 1993. It was a really fun show, I thought, uh, especially to talk about. And you find all sorts of content. Uh, I was on re- I was on Liam's recent quiz, uh, Safe Words. Uh, if you want to hear how I got on there. Uh, I should be on a, an episode of uh, Rogue Chronicles very soon with Carl and Liam uh, Pond and Easy trucks along as we are continuing our role through Loki 
and uh, no rogues barred where I'm looking th- looking at different members of the Rogue Bains team delving inside their weird corrupted minds and figuring out why they are the way they are. We'll continue. Uh, Liam will be in the next episode. Uh, so hopefully you guys should tune in for that. And uh, so I'm outside of this, you know, where we do, as I mentioned, stuff like this and Rogue Retro Smackdown. What else have you got going on that people should know about? Well, um, I am continuing to write for WrestleJoy, where I have recently had an article published which focused on the three possible best contenders to replace Kenny Omega as champion in their respective promotions. Now, I did write that prior to Kenny Omega losing the Impact Championship, but I still believe my option of Josh Alexander is a guaranteed future Impact champion. Um, I also have recently done a article talking about the possibility of an all elite network um, because of the fact that AEW Rampage isn't in the UK. I want to find a way that makes it easier for me to watch it as well as classic moments. So I go into that. Uh, still have my ongoing Nakamura IWGP Intercontinental Champion reign and my CM Punk series, which suddenly has a lot more a timely resonance than it ever did about six months ago. I mean, obviously I can tell the future. And also I have a couple of articles looking to appear on cultured vultures quite soon. So uh, those should hopefully come out soon or WWE uh, or AEW based because you know me, I I stick to what's popular. Yay. (laughs) So, and apart from that, obviously it'll be appearing with, um, my colleague Scott on SmackDown Retro Review with an upcoming pay-per-view that hopefully should be very exciting. Hopefully, hopefully should. I don't have articles. Uh, Rogue Pains, Word, Rogue at WordPress.com. You can see some articles over there. I've done some. You've got some from Anthony and Carl. Uh, I'm actually working on some stuff to do with King of the Ring for the site, which hopefully will be up soon. It'll be very timely. Uh, I thought my holiday would help clear my mind and give more than just two out of the five reasons I already have for the Steve Blackman article, but my mind just clearly doesn't want to delve that far in and come up with anything, which is why the article is taking so long. I'm sure that when it's ready, it will be perfect because you'll be able to rack lyrically about what a tremendous human being and wrestler Steve Blackman is, especially compared to that um, uh, forgettable also ran known as uh, Glenn Jacobs. Well, that's been... Uh... Before Sam gets featured in Derwood also, uh, we'll say goodbye, everybody. Sorry if you enjoyed SummerSlam and we depressed the fuck out of you about it. But, you know, we are, those are our opinions. Let us know yours. Uh, if you disagreed strongly with anything or said you think even Marie's the greatest women's wrestler of all time, uh, please tweet at Nathan Greenaway. Uh, also, tweet me uh, at Rogan Square Opinions or at Six for suggestions for really bad matches because... Uh, Nathan thought he'd be a hard man in challenge based SummerSlam predictions, and I won. Which means I get to choose 10 matches for him to do a watch along to. So uh, stay tuned for that. Nobody picked Jackie Gader and Trish Stratus in that mixed tag team match because we want to be cruel, but not that cruel. I mean, at the, state, at the moment of how our, our, me and Nathan Villas so far, I'd take anything. Okay, we want to be that cruel. Nominate that one. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I lost myself.